I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Ryan Boland. And we love to watch. We love to watch John McClain says, don't log on. How's it going? I gotta tell you, given the option, I'm gonna live free a hundred times out of a hundred. Yeah. Like, given the op- the other ones don't give you an option. This one, it's like, would you rather live free or would you rather die hard? <laughs> oh, I figured it was one one lifetime. You live free and then you die hard. And I'll be honest, I'm probably gonna die soft. I'm probably gonna die in a bed. You know, oh, I'm definitely gonna soft with a whimper. I'm not gonna go out. I'm not gonna be dying hard. If I accidentally do die hard, my last moments are going to be soft. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Why did I take that turn I, off the bridge? I will not be taking it with a grimace. <laughs> no. But life is a circle because then you'll get rigor mortis and then you'll die hard. Yeah. I mean, I hear you do get an erection when you die, right? And then you're soft again. And then you're soft. And then you turn into a skeleton and then you're nothing but hard. Then you're you're hard for the rest of the time. But you don't die every time you get an erection, right? <laughs> I <laughs> know, oh, never got one. <laughs> not, I'm not Ryan, looking forward to finding Ryan's it. Ryan's very Catholic, and his mom puts saltpeter in his cereal at age four. Whenever I feel, whenever I feel some tinglys, I'm like, oh no, oh no, get the ice pack, <laughs> the erection ice pack, it melted. You start whapping your inner thigh with a ruler. <laughs> Yeah, well, we're we love to watch we're movies. <laughs> we pick a theme. We do movies over the course of a month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. Easy to do this month where we are doing uh, the Die Hard movies. I feel like we had a name. What's weird for the audience is for the audience, theoretically, they heard us, literally all three of us, talk about Die Hard with a Vengeance last week. Uh, and now we're talking about Live Free or Die Hard. Not much time's passed. I'm assuming they remember everything. Uh, here's a little bit of uh, podcast magic, as they say. Uh, we've we've all watched about 100 movies between <laughs> Die Hard with a Vengeance and Live Free and Die Hard because we recorded uh, the, the first three on one side of Spooktober. And now this is our first We Love to Watch episode we're recording on the other side of Spooktober. So uh, I... I don't know if that makes the movie uh, look better in comparison, look worse in comparison. But as we had talked about, part of the reason that we have Ryan Bullen on the show again is that um, Peter. So part of part of like in the run up to do this month and why we wanted to do this month is that one, Peter and I tend to uh, agree with with a lot of things. And sometimes we also uh, like movies we watch, what we enjoy. It's kind of why we're friends and have a podcast. But we do kind of like the dynamic occasionally where we are uh, sticking our feet in the ground and saying, I think this and I'm going to prove you wrong. It doesn't happen that often. Uh, but we were talking about the Die Hard movies. I think you watched these last year for some reason, Peter, if I'm remembering. And... We start having a conversation, and I understand that I had a very unpopular ranking in, like, the the current cinephile landscape where I, I kind of went one, four, two, and three, and you and Ryan were pretty aligned with, with uh, one, three, I think four, two. 
Was that right? Yeah, and then five. I think I think so. Yeah, that's, that sounds about right. No one's seen it. Yeah, so we're like, oh, that'll be fun since it was you know like we talked about last week. Die Hard with a Vengeance was a big movie for you and Ryan. I had it was my least favorite of the four Die Hard movies, and then the one that I I called like closest to the original for overall enjoyment was this one. None of us had watched this in a while. Let's go back and and compare. The problem with that whole thing, and I'm just going to get it out now on the show, is that, as you guys heard last week, I ended up fucking loving Die Hard with a Vengeance. <laughs> and, and, uh, 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 and, 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 and I was less positive on Die Hard 2 than I remembered. And now watching this one, I think I have to change my whole ranking because I still really like this one. But... I'm. I think I'm in agreement. I go one, three, four, two. There's no bad Die Hard movies. All all Die Hard movies that I've seen because I because Good Day to Die Hard doesn't exist and we'll never exist, watch yeah. it. It'll never exist. Yeah, we'll never watch it. Definitely not for this month. Um, it's the excluded <laughs> Die Hard movie. We yeah. only watch we only watch Die Hard movies that were meant to be other things, as we've talked about. Which this one has a great story, which I'm excited to get into. But yeah, uh, I'm just so, happy that your pride didn't get in the way of uh, you vindicating me. You're vindicated. I don't think. Uh, I think when it comes to this stuff, I like to think of myself. I know you're being a little bit uh, like a shithead for the podcast, but I like. <laughs> um, I do like to think that I can look at things with open eyes and I don't dig my heels in when it comes to stuff like movies and stuff like that. Like, my opinion can change. It had been a while since I'd seen these. Uh, we talked about what my initial problems were with, with Die Hard 3 last week. And I still really like Live For Your Die Hard. It is it's, – it's probably good that we have about, you know, almost a two-month space in between Recording the last one because, like, even my memory of, of Die Hard with a Vengeance, it's not going to live up well to that. And I and I do like this movie quite a bit uh, and still gave it the – I think I bumped it down from four and a half to four stars. But I also don't want to take a movie that I'm pretty positive on and turn it into a into – a, here's all the things I didn't like about it this time because that's what's more recent on my mind as I've had a change of, of opinion. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you, but uh, I'm happy also to get to revisit these because um, last year, I usually watch one and two because they're the Christmassy ones. Um, three is like specifically bifurcates itself. Uh, I hadn't seen three or four in a while and I was very worried to return to four because four is directed by truly one of the most no talent hacks in all of Hollywood history. Yeah. Like, truly, this is his only good movie. Um, and even yeah. when I was 13 years old, prime age for, you know, sorry, 10, 11, in Ryan Boland's basement watching, I think, like, the first two Underworld movies, and are both of us being like, these kind of suck. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I've never seen one. They, they just had sexless, such a bad reputation. They're that ugly. Like, they use yeah. slow-mo to constantly cover up the fact that their choreography sucks. They're unfunny. There's, like... Nothing to get attached to to them. And I feel like a crazy person when every few years people are like, oh, man, I love every few years I hear about people. It's usually that vulgar Artur kind of crowd. But like, oh, I love running the, the Underworld series because it's just they get more ridiculous and the lore gets crazier. And like, 
I have seen what you consider the best ones, and they are vile. Well, and it was like, we we were clearly the demographic, and we were also eating <laughs> movies up like that at the time. I mean, it's like, you know, oh, oh, Resident Evil, let's watch one of the, like, any, anything that you could get your hands on where you're just like, well, it's like a cool action movie with some sci-fi or whatever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I definitely have seen at least the first, if not one and two for Underworld, and I couldn't tell you a single thing besides, I think they say lichens a lot. Yeah, I I never saw, and part of the reason I never saw them is because um, I, they the, I think the first one Underworld came out the year after Van Helsing, and I remember it getting compared to as shitty as that. And Van Helsing is one of the worst movies I've ever seen, and it was a movie I was pretty psyched about. Um, Same, I revisited Van Helsing because my wife my wife and I both remember it being very fun. And uh, we both had just like the most miserable two. Oh hours. no! This was, af- this was after we had revisited the Mummy, and we were like, "Yeah, because it's Steven Summers, bang. right? Like, it's a good, it's a good director, at least yes. doing like who's good at CGI action. Did a great CGI action movie, like before CGI action, you know, had five years to to go. Um, and I just remember being shitty. And so I remember when Underworld came out, everyone's like, this is like sub Van Helsing. And I'm like, well, I'm going to stay the fuck away from it. It's interesting, Peter, that you said like the vulgar art auteurs have like rediscovered it because actually I was about to comment that like where I, I see a lot of them, you know, uh, standing for stuff like um, the Resident Evil series, which is why I finally went back and watched all those a couple years ago. And even like the Transformers movies, which I have decided to not go past three on because <laughs> of what they say. I feel like I haven't heard. I was actually going to say like the nail in the coffin on the Underworld movies is that even the people that like put Transformers last night is like their second favorite movie of whatever year it came out. Don't haven't seemed to gone back to this shit and been like, no, this is good because the director is so good at being bad. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't hear anybody really going to bat for Underworld, and I'm, I'm assuming that's for good reason. Yeah, so I didn't have much. I didn't have much hope for this movie either. I loved the first three to varying degrees, and I think besides the fact that it was fucking whatever Len Wiseman doing it, and that it was rated PG thirteen, I kind of went to the theater going, "Well, I'm not going to miss a new Die Hard movie." Like the first one, I was old enough to go see in theaters too, because like I think Die Hard with a Vengeance came out in like ninety five, right? So that's like I was twelve. I was not at the age that I was able to successfully convince my parents to let me go see it. Um, but uh, so I was, you know, just kind of pumped to see it in 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 the theater. That this was kind of the era where they were starting to make legacy leg legacy quals legacy quals legacy quals. Where like because the year after this, you have Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, and like the X Files shitty I want to believe movie, and like you start having this thing where like these properties that I discovered. Uh, even like Prometheus comes out a years after the a couple years after this were like uh, properties that I discovered for the most part uh, when I was a, when I that I ended up loving the movies but I was a little too young to see in theaters they were you know doing like long term sequels to them and most of them turned out shitty too which also was like hanging over my head I think at the time my best comparison which is a, now just a terrible comparison and an embarrassing thing was like man like. Even Family Guy, when it came back, sucked when it came back. Uh, <laughs> like Family Guy sucked when it before it left too. But I, you know, I was twenty or whatever, um, and so like I didn't have much hope for this movie, and I kind of walked out like on an opening weekend crowd, being like fucking pumped about. Like I loved it. 
uh, a little annoyed about the lack of swearing and like it, you know the kind of like PG thirteenification of like all movies, especially in the in the mid to late aughts, which is a frustration Peter and I have probably uh, hit hit uh, uh, bedrock on uh, on this show. But like this was like oh shit, they made a good one. Like they made a good legacy Cole. They made a good one with a terrible director coming back from a long time, and they made a good one when they had dumbed it down or, like, edited it down for a mass audience with PG-13. So I was, like – I think my expectations were so low that I walked out of theater fucking jacked about this movie. Yeah, I saw this on a uh, – I saw this on a date. Um, yeah, the obviously the PG-13 cut, but um, I must have been just old enough to drive. Uh, yeah, because it came out in 2007. Yeah, and I saw it because I was in a new relationship, and I was like, I will see whatever you want to see. And I was very, very much not looking forward to it. And I think it was partially because Bruce Willis had aged so considerably, but it was also just mixed in with, like, I've always been a horror guy, and so many of these, like, I mean, there weren't so many legacy quills back then, um, but, like, there were so... There was, uh, this was fresh after the Indiana Jones shit. Um, before. Year before. The year before? Yeah, this is oh. 2007. Indiana Jones came out in 2008. So that's why I was saying, like, this is, like, the first of, like, oh, shit, the properties yeah, oh, that I discovered okay. too late are now they're making sequels to them. Yeah. So, like, those movies, um, listen to this, I, I, I just... It, I'm sure Justin Long at the time was just the Apple guy. Like, I mean, there Justin are probably plenty of factors where you're like, okay, this is gonna probably going to suck. Justin Long was coming off a of dodgeball. Man. I remember him in dodgeball. I like Justin Dodge Long, Ball. actually. Yeah, he was cast well yeah. in Dodgeball. Um, I think he's cast well in this movie. Like, I think he's cast well in this. I, was, I think it works well. I was, so annoying. I, I was pretty ready to hate him. Just like, oh, this Justin Long as, a, as an entity is not going to hold up well. And I'm like, oh, he's he's good. Like, I agree. He's funny. Yeah. He does well. Like, we, we can get into that in the episode, but like... The, the area of the movie that I was most expecting to, to age poorly, because I forgot about how much this movie hates Asian women and women in general, um, <laughs> but I thought it was going to be Justin Long, and I thought he, he did great. I Not to jump into it, but I thought the same thing. I thought for sure the only thing where I was like, that probably hasn't aged super well is like, I think his character is going to get under my skin. And I was like, I actually, I think that it, he works pretty well in it. And I'm surprised, Peter, because you have a Mac. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I have a PC. Um, so if anything, I should be like, why isn't John Hodgman in this? <laughs> <laughs> it would be so funny if at the end of the movie, John Hodgman is making sexy eyes at Mary Elizabeth Winston. <laughs> the whole movie's the same, except John Hodgman pay- plays the Justin Long. I think Justin Long yeah. is one of those people that, um, yeah, I, I, there's definitely some sort of middling to good comedies that I remember really liking him. I like him in whatever that movie is where he sets up that fake university. Oh, yeah. Accepted is definitely a Accepted. Fun. Solid. He's got a bit role yeah. in Zack and Mary make a porno that's kind of entertaining. I like uh, him. I, in, I remember liking I like him in going, Girl. going the distance. I, I, I've never seen Going the Distance, but you recommended it a few times. I don't think I've ever recommended it. It is just a somewhat pleasant uh, late 2000s uh, romantic comedy with Drew We were talking about the Seth Rogen-verse of those actors, and you were like, oh, oh I really maybe. like that movie. You should check it out. Maybe, yeah. Char- it was like one of when, – when Hollywood, like before Horrible Bosses, was like, is Charlie Day going to be a thing? And they cast him as like Justin Long's best friend, and he's very funny in it too. 
Yeah. No, no, no. I uh, Jeepers you. Creepers, Peter? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he doesn't have to do much other than uh, look terrified, but he's uh, pretty pretty good in that. But yeah, I, I feel like I like him better in a sort of silly, like, uh, comedic role. Um, in this, oh, there are Quest? times when he's he's delivering the techno babble that the know. script writes, and we'll have so much time to drag me to hell, like the internet nonsense. I think he's gonna <laughs> in drag me to hell. He's kind of like the the sweetie boyfriend, yeah, but like that boyfriend is kind of nothing, right? Like, yeah. Oh no, for sure. It could he could have been replaced with what anybody. about? He's, I mean, he's, like he's uh, great I, in Galaxy Quest, right? As the nerd, yeah. As the what? Like he has so many funny deliveries of like the. Mom, <laughs> like when he's like the, I think that was his first role when he's like, that makes sense. Is, yeah, but yeah, so I, I, I'm, I, I'm fine with him in this movie. All of my issues, I think with that, like stem back to how much techno babble they throw into his mouth. But yeah, I, I wasn't looking forward to this movie because at the time I thought Justin Long was kind of annoying. The idea of having like a, um, a, like a, a diehard movie in after, even though I loved the first three, it was like, yeah, but it just feels a little desperate. And I just seen so many bad horror remakes of movies I loved. Oh, yeah. This was a terrible time for bad horror remakes. I, I skipped most of them when they came out, but. I, very, I, I, but I was I was at the age where I couldn't skip most of them or it would destroy my social life because it was like, oh, yeah, it was like before we all decided that drugs and alcohol were the way to go forward. It was like we go to the movie theater as a big pack and then every weekend out of the fog remake. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's what a terrible time. Dude. Miserable. <laughs> like I was, I was taking friends to almost famous and fucking punch drunk love. <laughs> yeah, there weren't that many. There weren't that many PG thirteen good PG thirteen movies between let's say two thousand and four and two thousand and nine. No, no, terrible um, time. Like the there were some good comedies like Hot Rod and stuff, which I also saw on a date. But like. Yeah. Horror movies are miserable. Genre movies in general were miserable. Well, I even had the uh, my mom would check online for what was it called? Like you could see what kind, like what swears, what what. Oh, com- common sense media. I actually still use that for the for my kids, like when, especially when I'm showing. Because um, it's actually not supposed to be religious. Uh-huh. Like, religious people use it, but it's just like meant to. Um, it's not judgmental. It's just like here's what's in the movie based on a scale and like what we'd recommend age wise. I think a lot of like I, I shied away from it at first when I had kids because I'm like I don't want it. Whatever the fucking you know Piscopalians deciding what my kid can watch, and then I'm like, and then I found it like oh no, it's it's run by like secular people who some of them are Christian. It, it was definitely something similar. I think it was called whatever she was using was some, called something else. Because then I even got to the point where if I wanted to see a movie, I'd just look it up first. And yeah. and try and figure out what I could do to like either dodge specific things or convince her like yeah but whatever it's fine and it's like oh I would like do research because I know that that's where she would look. Gotta save your mom the clicks. I do. I got no. Was, I, I got to get outside so I can so I can hang out with people at the movies. Well, there's nothing like being 14 and being like, well, I can't see the PG 13 movie because. They say boobs or whatever. You're like, okay, they all right. Boobs. You can't you know, show once, boobs, but they can say oh, it. <laughs> once you get the concept of boobs in the mind of a youngster. <laughs> my parents went on a couple different religious bents, and I remember telling my friends in when I was a freshman in college that they had my that they we were or freshman in sorry high school not in college freshman in high school uh, that I couldn't go see Rush Hour because my parents had seen it and they said goddamn too many times. So, guess I can't go see it. Yeah, you guys. that would um, absolutely. I've never told my 
my favorite this is a kind of a tangent and whoever's editing it can take it out but my favorite uh, mo- terrible movie date story ever is i was uh, in college and it was 2003 and i went and took a date to go see stuck on you after working like <laughs> double shift at perkins so stuck on you is the forgotten fairly brothers uh comedy matt damon and greg kinnear yeah, conjoined conjoined twins so i worked at double at the restaurant in the morning and then i saw a night movie with this girl i still remember her name Alyssa, that i'd like had a big crush on and like had been like did the ask and she's like yeah okay and so like I, w- I was pretty psyched about it though um but i was exhausted and two things happened that were very funny one i fell asleep um about 20 minutes into the movie and snored and was asleep the entire time <laughs> uh, which is not a good way to spend a first date but uh uh and then two inexplicably this is the part that was really fucking weird i you can see it on the poster I wore the same shirt that Matt Damon wears the entire movie <laughs> to the movie. I feel like that's like an orange and yellow striped shirt or something. Isn't it like it pretty is. distinct? It's, it's like it's a, it was an Abercrombie orange or orange, brown and white striped polo. And I had that shirt on. Oh, my God. Wore the entire movie. That's incredible. And it was just bizarre. Worst date. I did get a second date. <laughs> But it was thankfully oh. we had a dinner afterwards, and I made up for a lot of my, think, some, some severe disgust. My brother had that same shirt. I I rewatched that randomly, like within the last three or four years, and I I don't know if I mean I wasn't expecting it to hold up to anything particular, but it does not. It does, it's I wouldn't know. I mean, I think uh, I might have been locked on Letterbox, but I, I it's pro- I probably shouldn't. They honest. needed to have a little bit of silliness and a little bit of fun before they solved racism with Green Book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they really, the the Fairley brothers really became from the, like, edgy comedy hilarious people to, like, who could we shame? Oh, yeah. <laughs> who could we be shitty to? Anyway, yeah. Uh, so, Peter, this, uh, what happened when you saw it on the date? Uh, we were both big into it. It was a very, very fun date. It was one of those, uh, and it was one of those, like, uh, I was right at the age where I was just, like, very innocent. And I was like, you know. We had a really nice time, and then afterwards, I dropped her off at her house, and we like sat in the driveway and just like talked about. It. I was like, "Wasn't it so cool when that guy was doing ninja moves around that frozen room?" And she was like, "Yeah, yeah." And then he threw him in the thing. It was like we were we were kids. Like it was it was the movie that like while it is annoying that they edited down a Die Hard movie from yeah. rated R to PG thirteen, uh, that gave me as a thirteen year old like such a buzz to be able to share that with somebody uh, whose parents were more restrictive about what she was allowed to see. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit then about the, the making of this. So as we talked about all diehard movies do not start as diehard movies, <laughs> except the last one, apparently um, this one started. Um, is it a good thing when like your first couple movies in the series are based on like classic or at least somewhat classic, like airport pop, boiler thrillers and then and then your fourth movie is based on a wired article from the because <laughs> uh yeah this is based on a wired article called um, oh, farewell to arms farewell to arms written in 1997 <laughs> um and it was turned into an adaptation about about a fire sale and like how um how our uh our country was at risk. And so uh, the writer of a really good movie that I'd love to cover at some point on this show. I'm not sure. It feels like it's been forgotten, but uh, you've seen enemy of the state, right? 
Yeah, it's a fun movie. Yeah, the Tony Scott movie. Yeah, the Tony Scott, like, long-term sequel to The Conversation that, like, was kind of at, at in Will Smith's, like, heyday that I think people forget about it, but it's it's a pretty fun movie. He wrote Enemy of the State, and then he went and wrote this movie with uh, Peter. I think you first brought this to my attention. I don't want to steal the thunder of telling people what the title of this movie originally was. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot now. <laughs> just go. Wait, it's not just go. It's not Die Hard 4.0, right? I just saw that, that was what it was called no, outside no, the no, US. No, 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 before it was a Die Hard movie, it was called uh, ww3.com. <laughs> yes, <I forgot> <laughs> yes, the original title was <laughs> http slash www.ww3.com. It wasn't even like it wasn't even like fear.com which like spelled out dot and com. It was it was like a website where you didn't need to put in the W net. World War Three three dot com plus internets. God. Yeah, uh, and so like a lot of scripts <laughs> that they're like, well, a lot of this doesn't work. No one's gonna go see this, whatever. But interesting premise of like technology-based uh, terror, and eventually, yeah, got bought up by 20th Century Fox, who, who was, like, who had been looking to make a new Die Hard movie, I guess, in the late 90s, early aughts, and then, like, a lot of things, uh, 9-11 ruined it, because they're like, oh, I don't think people want to see a terrorist movie. Well, I don't want to blame now. it all on 9-11. Yeah, I... I don't want to blame it all on 9-11. I do. I do think, I do think that 9-11... It's just so, like... Well, the, then no the, one gave a shit about this <laughs> script. No. So they're like, oh, never mind. Well, sorry, we can't make your movie, you know, 9-11. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so they uh, they decided... <laughs> you know what I'm referencing? I don't. I don't. I just... Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm the Poughkeepsie tape thing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's like... Uh, well, then 9-11. Our killer uses justice system to kill cop. Ha <laughs> 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 Then 9-11 happens. <laughs> <laughs> and they're going to make a, a movie based on a Wired article. <laughs> like, uh, I'm interrupting you. I needed you to catch uh, on to what uh, I was I did not. I had no idea. There we Sorry. go. Go on, I, Aaron. I, I'm interrupting I you. Well, I do think the 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 concept of blaming things on nine eleven is uh, very funny, but in this case, very accurate. Because I, you know, like a lot of things, they're just like, sorry, the the country needs to heal. They need to persecute gay people, and they need to not see terrorists depicted on the on the on the TV yeah. screen. Go away, Bruce Willis. You wait. Go away. And yeah, that's this way. This way, Bruce Willis is, is like, okay, well, I guess I'm making the story of us then. I know the timeline's not great on that joke, but I could think of another movie. Uh, um, so he, uh, yeah. So they they put it back into production. They originally called Die Die Hard 4.0. I do think Live Free or Die Hard is a much better title um i just love some rewrite i love that 4.0 just seems very rare. like i get it it's because you know 0.0 it's it's hacker based it's whatever but like was was die hard with a vengeance called die hard 3 anywhere i mean i get that you have to ha- like bring them back in but i do like that it's not even like it was like well we'll do die hard 4 because they all know it is die hard 3 and you're like well yeah we talked a little bit about this on die hard 2 the die hard 2 has a very confusing title that like some like imdb and letterbox think of it as just uh, as die hard 2 colon die harder, die harder right? the movie title the movie t- like the movie titles on screen do not say die harder anywhere it just says die hard 
Jew. <laughs> so it feels a little bit like uh, Ghostbusters answer the call type situation or whatever. Um, so yeah, it, uh, it, it, it is, it is an odd duck. I do think Die Hard 4.0 is a terrible title. I love, I, I like Live Free or Die Hard for what it's worth, even though I haven't seen the movie and never will. Um, I do think a good day to Die Hard is a really good name for a, a Die Hard sequels. Well, I think in general, this 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 series does sequel names well. I yeah. agree. Yeah, just despite the us spending a significant amount of time on the first movie, we're like, what does Die Hard actually mean? Um, but yeah, and the title of this is is very interesting because this is a very post nine eleven movie in yeah. ways that it realizes, in ways that it does not realize. And the idea of leaning into this being a fight against terror um, and that uh, this movie kind of uh, flipping narratives about terror to make it about a domestic terrorist uh, is obviously like stuff that it realizes, right? Like it it knows that this is a movie about, well, what if they hit us again? Like they literally blow up the White House at one point and then it's a fake out. Um, But the... The, the movie doesn't realize how much it's leaning into the jingoistic politics of post-9-11 America either. Bruce Willis gives an entire half-formed speech about how whatever they do now is totally justified because there's people at home who are scared. And I can guarantee you in 2007 that definitely resonated with, I don't know, 80% of the audience. Yeah, it was definitely taking a turn. But the, I mean, this movie is leaning into a lot of patriotic imagery and like how the how evildoers will warp that. I, you know, I, I do think I don't know how much the movie is actually leaning into this, but I, I like the idea. I think you can watch it as a, a, a like I think you have to do a little bit of your own bringing bringing some of your own politics to it, but I do think this movie works well as this idea of a critique on post nine eleven security because like you know Timothy Oliphant's character is a security guy that works with NSA and the Pentagon, and he's such a lunatic on like American might that he is willing to hurt America to show how much stronger that it can be, which I think in a lot of ways is like the criticism we would say to all of those fucking lunatic military and Republican and, you know, centrist Democrats types that like, they like in, in, in the, in, in the interest of keeping America safe, they did unimaginable harm to our country that we're still not out of in any way, shape or form. Yeah. But I, I do think that the movie like wants you to laugh at, the leftist politics of just oh yeah character because he has a whole speech where 90 percent of what he says is accurate where he's like yeah they just want you to go buy stuff because after 9-11 george bush was literally like the economy needs you please just go buy whatever go to costco load up two cards just do whatever you need to do like the hopefully economy your needs kids you to buy stuff. didn't join the national guard is the only way to get the college we said was critical to achieving anything yes <laughs> But Justin Long's character is underground, okay? He listens to Flyleaf and Linkin Park and talks about fake news, okay? He's 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 far left. Like, that's the thing is he's making he makes fun of like, uh, you know, whatever. We're supposed to be on John McClane's side, I believe, during that speech. I think so, too. I think it's like he's so wacky. It's supposed to be funny when John McClane tells him to shut the fuck up. Um, yeah. 
I do think, like, I want to talk about that when we get into the movie. I actually, like, I was worried in that scene that the whole movie was going to be like that. And I think the turn to a lot more empathy to both Justin Long's character and the idea of, like, the human cost of these fucking war games uh, was was actually, like, surprised. Like, I didn't remember how much that was. I was I was very concerned within the, that first interaction that, like, oh, wait, is this just all, like, Bruce Willis being like, you don't know what CCR, kid, is? Yeah. You don't know what CCR is, kid? Uh, but it, I will it, say that made me hate goes Justin Long because CCR is, like, one of my favorite bands. Um, it's like, yeah. fuck you, Justin Long. Yeah. CCR rules. Oh, I'm sorry, it's a flyleaf. That that whole part was kind of dumb. Well, I mean, we'll obviously get it, but that part was dumb also because he, like, woke up and he's like, what the hell is this? As if it was, like, some grating noise. Yeah. And then right after that was, like, when was the last time you like popular radio? Let's go back twenty years. This band. What about thirty years? This band. What about forty years? This band. And you're like, okay, so wait, does Justin Long know a lot about music? Or <laughs> yeah, I I think that whole like there there is a little bit that's kind of um, in some ways like shocking watching these like when I did is that like you know Bruce Willis and Die Hard is like he, I mean he is a Bruce Willis is a boomer right like he. Not not to make everything generational, but like when you're when you're seeing Bruce Willis in Die Hard or Bruce Willis in the eighties and nineties, like he just seems like the coolest fucking person on earth, right? And like you watching this movie was like a reminder that like, oh yeah, he he was cool in the eighties and nineties, but now they're 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 attaching him to all these things that were never a part of his character, like love and credence. And stuff like that, and like these kind of like stupid kids today with their toy collecting, because he is in some ways an avatar of like boomers when they used to be cool and are now a little bit past their prime and shitty to the rest of the like younger generations, and that that feels really jarring watching, um, watching Die Hard and Die Hard Two and like movies where he is kind of the younger guy on the beat who's railing against his dumbass older superiors and then like you know watching him now you know what what is a, a t- literally 20 years later from the first die hard but we're watching it in much closer succession that now he's like you know He's like stupid kids today with their computers and that. Well, and some of them wasn't even that, which I thought was funny. It was like we're gonna we're gonna go for, we're jogging. Ever heard of it? Don't you guys have gym class? Like it was like very weird, random ones where I was like, is that is that what the generational difference is? I think that goes back to um, old people being mad at their kids for being quote unquote lazy inside on the computer playing video games all the time. Yeah, um, I think that's yeah. that is probably what that comes from. Yeah, it, but it's it actually like it doesn't feel right with his character as it relates to him in in Die Hard when he's, you know, in his early 30s and like, again, one of the younger people that you're watching in that movie. It then all of a sudden, like when you realize, oh, wait, but he's 50 now, he's 52, 53. Like it, 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 it's not pulling, I think, from the movies, but it is pulling from being a 53 year old white cop. I don't know. Like, yeah. It, I think that you have to apply some of what we talked about for Die Hard with a Vengeance as we applied to this, which is that um, 
you need to let go of John McClane as some sort of like pure hero that you can root for. Yeah. You kind of need to do it in, like towards the end of Die Hard 2 and you definitely need to do it in Die Hard 3 to actually make it enjoyable. And in this one, as Aaron hinted at, there is there are lines in here that are straight up just a racism against Asian people and misogynist as fuck when he kills um the super super tropey yeah. uh, Asian American woman who's a hacker and she barely talks don't worry she has a man for a boss uh and she's wearing leather pants she for she some knows reason karate. knows some form of martial arts I was going to say calls kung fu of course she knows some sort of martial arts and of course he calls it kung fu yeah, and like, there's just, he calls her a, uh, uh, what is it, a dead Asian hooker, something like that, like, and it's supposed, and it's like, it, it's it's just like one of those things that you could get away with as a sort of like edgy joke, uh, like, because like that, this was the era of like, oh, dead hooker jokes, those are super funny, um, and like, I'm sure it flew by a lot of our radar, not everyone's, but like a lot of our radars at the time. But now it just stands out in such contrast because like, <laughs> he just sounds like, he just sounds like an angry boomer on Facebook. Like John yeah. McClane's, John McClane's like so mad at the internet in this, but I can guarantee in like the next five years, he's going to be on Facebook uh, mad at the libs for their yeah. mafia. I mean, that is the thing. Like, it's it, it does feel like it's not pulling from his character that we saw in the other movies. It does feel uncomfortably so. <laughs> yeah, it does feel like it's potentially realistically where John McClane ended up, <laughs> you know, from a from his, uh, I don't know, uh, overall perspective, which I think, you know, this movie does really one of the things I like about it and kind of forgot about to some extent. Like, I do think. Like, I, I still think they should have just, like, I think Die Hard 3's big sin, and I, we talked about it last week, was, like, breaking up their family to give him, a, like, an alcoholic who had nothing left to lose vibe again. Um, which which I think kind of, like, kind of ruined the, ha- like, we talked about that. What I think it was something along the lines of when lesser movies try to ruin the happy endings of better movies that came before them kind of sucks. I think Die Hard with a vengeance actually ends on a hopeful note. And, you know, one of the things that is depressing about live free or die hard is that like, Oh, that hopeful note went nowhere. He got estranged from his wife, estranged from his kids. And he, um, <laughs> they only have her show up as an ID from the 80s. And it's still like an old yeah. picture too, which I love. Yeah. And he's, um, you know, he talks about that, like all these big, like things that I was celebrated for, I have nothing. Wait, but Zeus gave him a quarter and he made the call. Yeah. But this weird, like, but it, but it does somewhat fit with his character where he talks about, like, the whole, the whole joke about, like, in Die Hard about why Holly kind of, you know, why they got separated in the first place and why, like, he's so fucking annoying to the terrorists is that, like, if no one else is there to do the job, he, that's, that's a thing he has. He will do it even, no matter what. And if he thinks he's right and he thinks he has to do it, and, like, that was so frustrating from a personal life perspective that, like, Holly couldn't 
stay married to him at the beginning of Die Hard, but he understand like she jokes about you know understanding what the terrorists are going through because he's so goddamn unable to let things go that don't concern him if he thinks that he's the person that can make a difference. And like one of the things that that adds real pathos to this movie, I think, is like that idea that like that that ultimately was a real thing that he felt. And even though he had minor victories throughout that saving the people here and there, that kind of like inability to let things go and to step away when he thinks he's the person that can do it is um, has ruined his life to some extent. I think that's right. And that's like the scope. That's that, that's roughly the scope I viewed it through where it was like I was rooting for John McClane to kill these like awful domestic terrorists on like one base level. But yeah, on the other level, I was like, this is just like a sad, broken, lonely man who's like yeah. over the course of four movies has despite the fact that these are like empowerment fan- fantasies and like he grows a little bit more. Um, <laughs> he grows a little bit more invulnerable with each movie or more callist. Yeah. Um, there's like uh there's like a sadness in there that he's just this like out of touch guy who continually locks himself away because he's stubborn and he he keeps pushing people away because he's so stubborn he he's he's i thought this was maybe an addition in the unrated cut no this is how the movie just starts he's introduced getting mad and interrupting a date that lucy is on Mm -hmm. yeah that's really that's really terrible yeah because but like gotta protect my little girl and for a minute i was like mary elizabeth winstead is also just to note like one of my crushes and i was just like how old is she supposed to be? Like for a minute, I was like, "College." Oh, he's yeah. interrupting her because she's sixteen. She's like, you know, in their neighborhood, and he caught her or whatever. Like I forgot, like how how torn away from his family he was at the beginning. And I was like, "No, I think she's like in college." Yeah, I think she's like this is, like, this is not. She's absolutely in college, but this is not a defense. But it is like the mildest defense I can offer. Again, not a defense. But slightly better than the alternative is that it's not like he's like, you're with a guy. I'm going to break it up. He's spying on her. And when she says no and he doesn't listen at first, he's like, all right, she said no. Which <laughs> like that doesn't, that doesn't save the spying aspect and all the other things that go along with that. But um, he like it's somewhat mildly better than just uh, my daughter is is dating boys. Unacceptable. But I did think it was funny where it's like it's. It's like a scene where, you know, he's she's making out with her pseudo boyfriend or on a date or whatever, and he gets like a little handsy and she puts his hand away and then he does it again. She's like, I said no. And then he opens the car door. And again, this is just like movie stuff, not a big deal. I was like, so he was close enough by to see the subtle hand movement and hear her say no twice and then he's like hey the lady said no like it wasn't like a they're outdoors and she's like oh no i'm about to be assaulted like oh okay whatever it's like wait they were in like a closed car how could the lady said no okay bud it it also like i want to be very clear that everyone has different boundaries and i'm not saying if that it's ever okay to violate those boundaries i just don't know that many women in college that i was dating were over the shirt boob touching was unacceptable i agree especially where it's like he's like I, is this your boyfriend no i'm not and then later calls her boyfriend you're like wait so what where's like again in college you're like draw the line okay come on like like if the, if she, i can get why peter like if you are 15 that is definitely again not that, it, that would there be anything wrong with a college girl not being comfortable with it in the moment or at all or whatever else but it did feel a little bit like 
um, a little bit like the movie writers defending a puritanical version of John McClane's daughter that was weird. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and, and like, um, she gets to develop a little bit as a character, but for the level of, like, talent... She's, she's she, basically only in the last 35 minutes, but she rules. She disappears for, like, minutes. an hour and a half. <laughs> well, that's why the... I, I think the opening is so weird and sucks so much is because they're like, well, we need to use her later when there's personal stakes involved. So we need to introduce their relationship and her. And, like, they're like, I got it. Like, it, it sucks. He's overprotective. She doesn't like him. We got it. Okay. He but drove to Washington, D.C. Yeah. It's so detached from the plot that, like, they're like, all right, let's get this shit out of the way so that when she brings her back, when she gets brought back in, you know, she's an actual character. And and, and then, like, they don't have actually time to make her much of a real character. But because it's Mary Elizabeth Winstead, like, it adds some charm to it because she's just, like, so talented. Um, well, and you have a little bit about, like... Like she's, I think the thing that they land on that works really well is like the idea of her being just as frustrating as her father. Yeah, yeah. I, I think she pulls that off. She just doesn't yeah. get a whole lot of moments to do it, Agreed. except for, except for uh, her headbutting one of uh, Gabriel's guards and then uh, threatening to fight Gabriel one on one. And then they have like a moment where he's like, "Oh, this is kind of fun. Like I have like yeah. I've detained my enemy who I fucking hate so much. Like I've detained yeah. his daughter, and his daughter's just like him. He's still such a pain in the ass." Like Gabriel finds that kind of charming for a minute before he yeah. obviously you know things escalate, and then he wants both of them just fucking dead. I do like there are multiple times yeah. where he's like, "Do you have her under control?" Like that kind of thing. But he does seem slightly entertained by it. Like, okay, geez, he's so he's so good at. We'll we'll, we'll talk about Timothy Oliphant. When we get to, but like he is such a good villain in this movie, and I think I think that's one of the reasons I really loved it is because I was I was always a an Oliphant stand even before Justified because like I liked him in early shit like Go where he just had this weird threatening presence in like this comedy movie suddenly and like his line readings are so specific to him, but I love all the different ways he's like you, you do you have that. Uh, it's great. Um, I think one thing we should talk about, and then it feels like we're already getting to the plot, we should do the transition, but we didn't really get to, like, so this did come out in 2007. It was shot for an R-rated movie because all the other Die Hard movies were rated R. And uh, uh, as we alluded to a little bit, it PG-13 land, and they're like, oh, no, we were going to make more money. This is when it was all just graphs and totals. And I remember reading like Entertainment Weekly articles is like, is the big budget R-rated movie dead? Because here's how much they can make. And so they, they made it a PG-13 movie. Uh, and uh, they But they'd already shot it, right? Like as an R-rated movie. So there's tons of scenes where people are saying fuck and other – and fuckheads. And, you know, the other movies are pretty profane. Also, the character's catchphrase is – I don't know if you know this. It's yippee Kaye motherfucker, which is a is a hard F that gets an R rating immediately. So the way they handled this was like like TV edits, but slightly better edited is they changed the fuckheads to dickheads, and even the yippee Kaye mother like they, they you know they just edited the dialogue and they made cuts where people's mouth weren't facing. They swapped out actors who looked yep. like fuckheads for actors who were more of dickheads. Yeah. More dickheads. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They digitally replaced the fuckheads with the dickheads. Yeah, with the and power of computers, we can replace fuckheads with dickheads. <laughs> the, the $6 million fuckhead. Um, <laughs> uh, but 
Uh, they and so like even the yippee ki motherfucker is muffled with a gunshot, and I I remember like feeling like that was a missing element just because there was a like I'm not like oh swears inherently make a movie better, but like it, it was weird how stayed from a dialogue perspective, especially in comparison to the other movies that Live Free or Die Hard was. And there's an unrated version that came out immediately on DVD when this movie came out, which I bought. Which is the exact same movie with more um, more blood that, that again was in the movie when it was shot. They just digitally removed it from the theatrical, and like all the uh, all the fucks now are in the movie that were there, and, and you see more of characters delivering the lines because they don't have to cut to like the back of someone's head, so it doesn't. It's not obvious that they're. They changed the dialogue in post. I'm just so surprised because usually I, you get one fuck, right? And in a PG-13, so, like, why wouldn't you want to use it on a clear yippee-ki-yay motherfucker? It's a, it, no, well, so here's the thing. You actually get two fucks in PG-13 movies. But no motherfucker? Yeah, mm. it depends on context. So, like, you could say, I want to, uh, you're going to get fucked up or you fucked up. But not, I'm going to fuck but you. It can't be sexually aggressive. You. Yeah, Yeah. Ex- exactly. And so motherfucker is automatically an R. Because those mothers are getting fucked. <laughs> Yeah, people, the Jack, Jack, whatever Valente is like, I have a mother and there's nobody fucking her besides my dad who died in Vietnam. You're fucked. <laughs> You're fucked, you mother. War. The Civil War, he died. Jack Valente is old. So, yeah, so we, Peter and I, we accidentally did not communicate well to Ryan, clearly. But I kind of, I, I do think of like the unrated version, one of the few unrated cuts in like an era that just like, added in a scene where there was some nudity and they're like here's another way to sell a dvd it's also full screen yeah that's um, that's pretty much I, what i thought yeah i do i do think of the unrated version as kind of the canon version peter and i did watch it we forgot to mention that to ryan noted guest on this episode by the way um, and i'll even say uh credit to uh voodoo when i went to i, I just typed into google real quick live for your diehard uh voodoo and it did bring me to the unrated one originally and i was like wait what and then i searched again i was like uh they're the both same runtime i'll just do the normal one thinking that the unrated would be like one extra scene to sell extra dvds um yeah that was i mean like if you buy the trilogy on blu-ray you get the unrated uh, so it is one of those things where they've kind of like hey that's the one that we i mean literally shot and then the other one's a you know, edit over by the censors or whatever at 20th Century Fox. Yeah, let's let's talk more about the plot, the tech. Oh, the let's tech. Let's get deep into the, the tech. Hacking. I hey can't wait to get. I got 45 minutes prepared for how hacking works. So, hope you guys are ready for my. I mean, Justin Long has 45 seconds, and it was too much. Yeah. <laughs> well, you do. You type in the codes. Hey guys, I'm gonna whisper something, and I want you to to hear me, but I don't want like everyone to hear me because I don't want people to panic. For some reason, I just leaned in like that helps. By your sale, I like the one, the part where they go into the the mainframe area, and the guy just plugs in a lot of stuff to the computer, and <laughs> and then loads in a CD, and you're like, man, security must be tight there. He he plugged in four USBs, a, a CD. Uh. It's one of those things that's somehow like less preferable to him just plugging in a black box that has like three blue lights on it. That just like, like blink, yeah. 
He could just be like, I'm in. Like, rather than having this screen with all this corny bullshit on it and be like, uploading virus to mainframe. <laughs> you reached the National Data Administration. I did like, since it's, it's right at the beginning, it's it's how it starts. I did like when they say there was a breach and um, who's it? Cliff Curtis says, it just goes, a hack? Question mark. And like, I literally in my notes wrote, a hack question mark? I want to say hack. We're going to say hacking and hacker a bunch. And then they did. The rest of the movie, they never said breach or anything. It was like, hacking this, you're a hacker, hack. It reminds me of when I'm in a meeting on a very technical issue, and I know literally three things about it. And so I just keep dropping, and I'm like, oh, yeah, but that's a tagging issue, right? Yeah. Synergy. Have, have, we, you thought tried about, add- have we thought about tags yet? Have you, have you tried upping the RAM? <laughs> I'm going to ram us into the main part of the episode. Y'all want to talk about live free or die hard? Check and check. Live free or the hard? (laughs) Live or hard? (laughs) Live or hard. For Ryan, it it is binary. (laughs) Live or hard? It's you live or you're hard. Is that pod- podcast canon now? That Ryan is not allowed to get in a record. I'm allowed. It's just it's just going to kill me. He <laughs> gives a whole new meaning to soft boy. <laughs> That'd be a great like, yeah, I'm soft. Uh, por- like ring porn parody where you watch the porn and it's clear you get an erection that kills you. <laughs> we, we, we catch up. Like, Ryan and I, you know, haven't seen each other in a while. We catch up and I'm like... And Peter's wearing a low-cut shirt. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's, what's new, Ryan? I'm still not getting erections for fear of my own mortality. <laughs> <laughs> not too much not too much besides that you know <laughs> mostly still focused in on that really at this point <laughs> in my life most of my energy is like keeping it half man <laughs> keeping it half mass like I say to my friends oh and then Ryan's on his wedding day and his mom comes up to him and she's like oh yeah everything I told you about the erection thing it was it was bullshit you can definitely get boners <laughs> <laughs> and then that ruins the Later, rest dude. of the ceremony as he makes the slowest walk down the aisle ever. <laughs> it's time. I didn't measure pants for this. <laughs> Wait, when you go to your tailor, they're like, all right, now get hard. Well, no, but I assume that they, like, most of the time when you take measurements, I assume you're soft. So, like, no one knows what would happen. Like, same question again. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that question they do ask that they say they say uh, what is it? Um, which way do you dress? I think is the classy way of being like oh, it, which it go down the left which side right. this dong hang boy is essentially what they're saying. I just say it's too small. It doesn't. Yeah, like, don't, don't worry about it. I wrap yeah, around the back. All right, yeah, let's talk about the movie. Then. Bump, 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 bump. I feel like I missed something. No. No. Good. What? Bump, bump, bump. Uh, Peter! (laughs) It's It's his intro music. (laughs) <laughs> Peter's a WWE wrestler. <laughs> I'm W E I R D. You're a WWQT. 
thanks, dude. It's really nice. Um, uh, what do you want, me Peter? To do? What happens in this movie? Um, <laughs> <laughs> what show is this? Um, Live Free or Die Hard is the story of. A First, can you collector. tell us the uh, origin of the motto and how it's being used by really cool dudes today? <laughs> it is the New Hampshire state motto, and it is not used for any um, other purpose. It's on cool. license plates. No one's ever referenced it again. No, yeah, no. I mean, unless people are talking about the license plate, which is a you know, it's a very popular license plate because people it is the, the license plate. People. I liked it so much I bought it for my car and they said, no, you can't do that, sir. And I said, uh, I'm gonna. Yeah. Um, I owe a lot of money. Cannot it seems drive. like you'd mostly have problems in New Hampshire. Well, but, you know, they I had a Minnesota license plate, so or Minnesota driver's license. So they're like, this doesn't match. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't because it's ours sucks. <laughs> what is yours? I probably landed 10,000 lakes. I don't know. I haven't looked at it in a while. <laughs> Uh, I, I Which, have, what's yours, I, Peter? Uh, it's California and that red script, sort of a classic. They haven't changed it much because people like it. it yeah, why don't you do a little bit of research while I tell people about Live Free or Die Hard? Uh, John McClane harasses his daughter. Anyways, on to the real movie. Um, she'll come back in a little bit. You so, started there. Didn't something happen before that? My license plate says Land of Lincoln. Okay. <laughs> I still have my Land of Lincoln license plate. They're still, they're garage. still hanging on Land kind of, of Lincoln. You better believe it. He's even on it. I mean, they just gotta, they gotta. What corn? What do you? Uh... We keep sending all of our politicians to jail. I don't know what you. Yeah, we, yeah. Haven't, we haven't had they're, an. They're, it's not like it's going to be the land of Blagojevich. <laughs> yeah, land of Denny Hassert. I want it to be specifically uh, Silver Fox Blagojevich. Oh yeah, Whew. who doggy. Who doggy? Who doggy? Do you remember when? Um, do you remember when Blagojevich said like three nice things about Trump, and then Trump was like, "We should get him out of prison." Yeah, and that's all it took. And he got him out of prison. <laughs> so fucking dumb. He's such a he's such a fucking idiot. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, like Justin Long, also enjoy a video game, maybe a Gears of War. Because Gears of War is what hackers are playing before their computers blow up. <laughs> Yeah, doesn't the hacker the stuff happens first? You got to stop with with hacker stuff. You got to start with hacker stuff first, right? Oh, we're talking about hackers right now. I mean, sorry, we're talking about Live Free or Die Hard, which has hackers. Hold on, we're can you throw on the- like whoever's editing this track? Like, can you throw on some like Prodigy or Chemical? But like, I, I gotta know we're talking about hackers. Yeah, there's nothing with um, the explicit lyrics sticker on it. My mom says I can't put those in the podcast. What about my own radio? Um, yeah, that's really, really underground. You, I have to give you a thumb drive with it, and you'd have to take out you'd have to take out my comments because mine are theatrical. The famous underground band in 2007 that only hackers listen to called Linkin Park. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> too. That's what how they feel. They feel like they're crawling in their skin. The way the words that they say will not heal. Hackers just feel so weird as I relate to the world through the screen of a computer, which is what they're doing, having a good time before their computers blow up. Which is where I was what? forty seconds ago. Um, so these hackers are executing commands, and at some point, hitting the delete key, closing out of the app, whatever, makes their computers blow up. We see a, a couple of these happen. 
Um, and then we are introduced to Justin Long, who's hacking up a hack storm. Anyways, uh, then we're going to come back to uh, the hero of the movie, uh, Jonathan McClain, uh, who you know from the previous Die Hard films. Uh, he is... Uh, like Anything in the last new in his movie. life going on since we last saw him? He's kind of sad and kind of just uh, hangs around. He's a detective still, um, but he kind of just does whatever whatever he wants. And then his his uh, commander, who has lowjacked his car because he doesn't trust him, um, his commander is like, "You gotta go pick up this hacker kid because you they're killing see the hacker." And they lowjacked all government vehicles. Peter, it wasn't just a Justin McClane. Yeah, but it was because of John McClane. Like, they're like, I think he's such a big problem. We should do this for all government vehicles going forward. <laughs> sorry, I did not pick up on that. Um, so, yeah, John so McClane was the origin of the government not wanting their cars Surreal. to get stolen. Yeah, we got to know where these cars are. You know, you remember what happened with John McClane. <laughs> he drove through Central Park. They blew up some gold. He drove right through Central Perk. He killed all of the friends. <laughs> um, so John Mc, John McClane has to escort Justin Long. So he goes to his apartment. Um, they have a culture clash kind of thing. Culture clash kind of dynamic. Um, and there, yeah, you play with toys. Can you imagine going into a, like a boomer's house and be like, "Oh, you were really into JFK, dummy, <laughs> stupid." <laughs> What is this? What is this? Like a poster of JFK? Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you, nerd. I deleted your Facebook. You're welcome. You want to know who kills JFK? My dick. <laughs> well, I mean, we that's historically accurate that you had such good sex with JFK that his head exploded, right? I also like that I had like a... a... Mine. More of like a Midwestern, hey, that's just rude type thing when he actually takes the arm off. Is that supposed to happen? No, no, it's great. It's actually more expensive when it's broken. I wasn't even like, hey, that's a collectible. I was like, why would you go into somebody else's house and be like, oops, is it supposed to break off? You're like, dude, just don't fuck with my shit. Hey. Doodads. I'm a cop fucking with your shit. <laughs> fucking around with your doodads. Everyone loves this, right? Um, anyway, so uh, the the hack, uh, Justin Long is just about to execute the command. That will blow up a C4 pack in his computer, and this is how the other hackers died, which there's no other space for this. This is the thing that's, that I think made so people so mad, because this is the most complex way to blow someone up ever that's so rife with issues. So <laughs> you they have to upload a virus that somehow activates a C4 that's attached to their computer that they custom installed, so they had to break into the c computer, the hacker's house, custom install a C4 into their PC tower, and then the person that the hacker themselves, when they're executing a command, actually executes the, 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 the triggering of the C4. And at the same time, in Iraq and in Afghanistan, like... 20-year-olds were wiring up cell phone bombs with explosives that all you need to do is dial a cell phone number within 100 yards, and it just like, oh, well, it's set up the bomb. Peter, Peter, on paper, your criticism is fair. But I think what you're forgetting is that the bad guys in this movie are also super hackers. And so they can, like, they probably downloaded the C4 directly, like a 3D printer or something, like to the back 
uh, the computer. I, I think so they broke in with... and installed a 3D printer inside the PC tower. I think when you are dealing with hackers, uh, there is no ceiling. The sky is the limit. They can do anything. And I think this movie proves it as opposed to being a giant dumbass plot hole, especially when they have people with guns that can just shoot them outside and everyone is immediately linked. That's what I love is, is oh, it didn't blow up. You know, in in this five second window that we expected to, all right, better go loud and just shoot the fucking shit out of this. But like, and a giant explosion I mean, also doesn't seem like it would be too. Yeah, I mean they're blowing oh, up okay. whole houses, and then they're just and like, shit. all right, also, why not? The government within the first ten minutes is like, oh, they're killing all these people that are all linked. So I don't, I don't know what their plan was besides just to. I mean, as I guess we see later, one hacker let loose. Into the bad guys program and the whole thing shuts down. Yeah, so there all these hackers are building pieces of programming that are required for this fire sale, which Justin Long will explain later, but I'll just do it now. Um, this fire sale is an attack on the infrastructure of the country of um, the it, it's a it's a three part thing. It's like the infrastructure of the country fire sale power. Um, it's and it's like. Um, I don't know, like financial systems and uh, your power. It's kind of like everything. The the, the expression is everything. Yeah, first they yeah, disrupt they disrupt the country. Was, which the idea being that then that gets them the ability to shut down more stuff and then they steal money. Yeah, it was tra- yeah. it was transportation something and then utilities. Yeah, so they're trying to shut down. Um, the nation's ability to operate as usual, but in a way that kind of escalates as it goes. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about what Timothy Oliphant's overall plan is. But all these hackers built a piece of it. And so John McClane has to keep this hacker alive as uh, hitmen come for Justin Long and try and kill him. And uh, Lucy, Lucy Gennaro, Lucy McClane is not part of the movie for some time. So it's, it's just them two. They drive into D.C. to deliver uh, Justin Long uh, into the uh, uh, what's his name? Cliff Curtis. Yeah. Cliff Curtis is uh, FBI sort of uh, setup Deputy um, director. Yeah. Yeah. Because he has a whole operation running to try and counteract this terrorist group that's trying to enact this fire sale. And uh, the the. Justin Long is sniping at John McClane, and John McClane is sniping at Justin Long, and uh, there the whole the whole deal is that like Justin Long is smarter than anyone is giving him credit for, but yet they're all disregarding his his kind of yeah. ability. I did like how quickly they turned that around, though. It was like, "Shut up, you freaking kid! I don't care." And then he says like three sentences. He's like, "All right, you need to go to the front, and you need to tell everybody exactly what you know." I was like, "Oh, all right." Yeah, I I do think, like I mentioned earlier, it really is contained to that first car ride because, like, after they realize it's bigger and they start, like, commiserating and Bruce – like, I do think they start supporting each other in a way that I really enjoy. Yeah, I I mean, that's one thing that I do prefer Die Hard 3 over is because they just fucking hate each other until, like, the last 15 minutes. Um, Um, but, uh, yeah, so they, the, 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 one of the th- rules you have to accept here is they're going to throw techno babble at you and they're going to just expect you to believe that computers can do everything except for the one thing the plot needs them to, um, you know, be limited on and that hacking can do whatever and anybody could hack in three seconds and yada, yada. The movie, in order to enjoy this movie, 
You need to just accept that computers are magic. You accept it or suffer. Yeah, I can't imagine if, no other if I was actually computer savvy, like in terms of coding or whatever, how incredibly frustrating this movie must be. Like I, I can I can tune it all out as just a whatever and ignore the babble, but I'm assuming if you actually know what's going on, it would just be a painful experience. Yeah, but if you know what what's going on, you're a fucking nerd, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Ooh. Oh, I can't know what's going on in the movie. Oh, this is how nerds sound. Does anyone have a spare pocket protector? <laughs> Did he get ink on his white shirt? Yeah. I, I was so angry I turned off the movie and read Dune Messiah. <laughs> <laughs> Owned. Um but yeah, so uh yeah, I uh, I think, like, from here, it's probably best to not go through every single beat, but, like, we'll talk about generally what's happening. Yeah, it, it the, does the, the – really quickly, like, this movie does what the other ones do really well, which is not copying from action movies, but copying from uh, serial adventure movies where they keep getting into scrapes. And, and it keeps escalating, yeah. like – and um, so uh, they are um, – John McClane and uh, Justin Long are in transit to, you know, this DC station. And then they're trying to get more information on this fire sale. As this is happening, the fire sale starts to kick off. Traffic lights all go green, um, which causes uh, huge traffic accidents in a bunch of major metro areas. They start hacking every major news network kind of at once and displaying their, like, uh, less a list of demands and more of just like a list of threats and then yeah. as we go we kind of find it's out it's kind of like they have this like uh, stating their purpose so to speak which you find out is fake because they just want to like all diehard villains except diehard too they just want to steal money but like this uh, about America being a weak nation and they're under terrorist attack and I, I like the idea that someone who like watched that would go oh my god the people who made Obama sing never going to give you up or taking over the country. <laughs> <laughs> and there's it's the, like a hack together ransom speech or whatever from all these different president speeches. Yeah, this is um, this is firmly uh, one of those things where YouTube was new. People yeah. Having fun. The idea of mashup artists was terrifying. Uh, we were just getting used to girl talk. Yeah. Um, the uh they they play a video where the all these different presidents uh are essentially cutting together a threat um and they're using sort of patriotic imagery to lean into this sort of uh techno fascist pitch to the american people that like you're weak we will make you strong through these these sort of fires um of of attrition um, you are, we need to wake your, your, uh, leadership up because they haven't been paying attention. It's probably a good time to talk about who the villain is. Um, his name is Thomas Gabriel, uh, played by Timothy Oliphant. Uh, for a little bit, they make you think that, uh, his, his henchman is second, his second in command is the leader, but she's a woman, so she can't be the leader. Um, and John McClane literally says, put your boss on the phone. Um, <laughs> And um, is John McClane a Karen? Hashtag think piece. <laughs> <laughs> um, John McClane is uh, basically, basically um, the reason that like a thousand medium articles have been written. Um, if you were a real person, um, so 
the D- Thomas Gabriel was a former uh, like DOD head of uh, hacker security, cybersecurity, and he uh, wanted the nation to overhaul its security efforts. And uh, the Department of Defense, he they were just wigged out by him. Um, he was too aggressive and too weird, and uh, they pushed him out. And one, he he rep. hacked. When they said no, we're not going to give you the budget to do that. He went into like a. Uh, 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 what is it? A, a Joint Chiefs of Staff meeting and hacked the Pentagon with like a laptop yeah. to show how bad they were. And they're like, "Fuck you! You're going. You're fired. Don't do that." Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can go one of two ways. Like one way is like the idea that the American government is fiscally responsible with its military budget is is ludicrous. But it is also true that like. The government spends way, spends way, way too little money on, like, basically uh, building up infrastructure, infrastructure security. Our power grid is very susceptible to attacks. Yeah. Like, the American government yeah, they does just, not It's spend. all for show, right? Like, all the spending is like, oh, I'm, I'm buying tanks for all the tank wars that we have because the tank manufacturing plan is, like, in Ohio where this senator yes. wants to get reelected. It's the military-industrial complex writ large, right? Like, your yeah. tax dollars are going to build these insane fighter jets with, like, stealth technology that will never, ever be fucking used. Um, stealth technology that doesn't work, and there is no accountability for these military contractors because they're yeah. but they're buddy-buddies with senators. This is sounds like conspiracy theory talk, but this is, like, literally, like, how they talk about it. So... Yeah, it's not considered like it's not at all. We like literally like build tanks and then either sell them or get rid of them, and they never are used. Well, I mean, they are used when they're uh, they're off offloaded to uh, local police Saudi departments. Arabia, yeah. <laughs> um, because yeah, your rural town in Ohio that has a meth problem or an opioid problem really needs an APC with a fifty caliber machine gun on top. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, it is like, you know, it kind of you can kind of interpret it a couple different ways, as Aaron said. So for some of the stuff, you can bring your own politics to it. Uh, one thing you can't bring your own politics to is the fact that they blew up the White House. And my reaction was to start laughing because George W. Oh, they blew up the Capitol building. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and my immediate reaction was like, I just laughed because like he got his legit reaction. Uh, what's his face? Bauman. And then it, it, it made it seem like he walked a half block. To get into his eyeline, he's like, oh, no, it's fine. You're like, if you're that close, wouldn't you have heard it or felt it or like... It's also not CGI. Like, they blow that fucking thing up. Yeah, I like that they built a model. I I appreciate the craft to practical effects that uh, Thomas Gabriel... It's good enough that it were... It's good enough that were them to actually blow up the Capitol building. Um, And that was like, you know, canonical to the movie. Uh, I, I I probably would have been like, oh yeah, that's a really awesome model. Nice job. Ha- they, hacking they is his profession. Them. Modeling is no. his passion. This is- <laughs> Do you think they hacked some good special effects? Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, they 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 uh, hacked it from uh, from Weta. Uh, <laughs> Weta didn't have they had, yeah, I mean, they yeah, it's post Lord like- of the Rings. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Wet is doing lovely bones. They have fucking time on their hands. <laughs> oh, the one special effect shot? Sure. We can blow up the Capitol. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's it's in its own way just as impressive as the reason I, I, I was not thinking is because I was thinking of the White House shot from Independence Day. Um, it's impressive in its own way just as much as is yeah. in that. Um, but yeah, so... 
Um, they, uh, yeah, they're, they're doing lots of like psychological terrorism, um, you know, cutting people off in their communication channels so they can't like get real news and they can't like communicate with one another. John McClane is essentially like locked out because like uh, all the digital communication tools and cell phones that they have, like that none of them work. And so him and Justin Long uh, kind of go on the road um, to go to one facility, which is uh, because they realize that the um, the one thing they can't hack into remotely is a uh, massive power grid uh, central that, that's, point. That's theoretically uh, holding social security information, but it has like all these cooling towers. Oh no, that's um, that's the that's where the movie ends. Oh, in sorry. between they go to a different br- that's uh, right. gray metal facility, mm-hmm. um, and they uh, they end up killing the uh, second in command, and John McClane says a bunch of misogynistic shit. Um, and then in the in the meantime, uh, the fire sale is escalating. Thomas Gabriel is escalating. And one thing I want to say about Timothy Olyphant, why I really like him as a villain, that's mostly yeah. for the last 20 or 30 minutes. Like, Yeah, he's very silent. He kicks into Olyphant mode in the last 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, M- Molly and I were both like, we love Timothy Olyphant. It's so great that he's in this movie, but I don't remember how little of a presence he has until, like, <sighs> yeah. the last half hour. I mean, it well, it's not, it's not as... until Maggie Q dies because Maggie Q has been the the face and the voice of the operation until John McClane recognizing, of course, that only men can be in charge, um, even though his wife was literally in charge. Never mind. Uh, uh, he was like, maybe that's why they're divorced. Uh, it's like, put me on the phone with your boss. And then you find out there's this other dude. And then, of course, when Maggie Q dies halfway through the movie – then he has to become uh, a bigger presence. Yeah, and and like the one thing that I, I one thing that I don't really like about this movie is there's like a, in the right in the middle point there's a gray generic complex, and then the movie ends in a gray generic complex to the point that my co-host also got confused about which two of these were. Um, well, it's it's not it, it ends actually just in a hangar while they're waiting to get for a plane. yeah 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 yeah. But the the like yeah, but there are two like. We have to go do this thing at the complex. The big, the big, like massive set piece is the yeah. the um, is in the um this uh yeah this this this. Uh, it's like you're playing Goldeneye and people just want to play the complex. And they also <laughs> want to play the facility, and you're like, is this the same level? Is this are these different Where's levels? They're good for proximity mines. I don't know. Do complex and, and, and facility mean the same thing? No odd job. It's all the all the good stuff. Uh, yeah, everyone in this movie seems to be of normal Golden height. Gun. There's no odd jobs in this movie. No odd job. No. No one gets two a stars. Every movie needs slappers only. <laughs> slappers only for the Maggie Q fight. The Maggie Q fight is simultaneously very cool, and also it breaks all my rules of what, like, what is reasonable behavior for a genre movie because he. <laughs> yeah. He beats her in a fight, and it's like, great. And then he just, like, lets her hang out behind him and then sneak up on him. Yeah. Which is like, I... So, yeah. Justin Long, while hacking, gets snuck up on, and someone puts a gun to his head three times in this movie. 
Yeah, it's definitely a fucking that Maggie Q fight is like a protect mission where like just let me hack a little bit longer in a video game. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Instead of waves of enemy, it's just one one lady that keeps. But them. I also like that like Justin Long's character stops and he's like, "So are you done yet?" And he's like, "Well, it's not no." And it's like, "Well, he's just watching you beat up this woman." Um, and then he immediately Bruce Willis immediately turns around like, "Oh, well, that shelf fell on her, so I we can just to completely ignore her now at this well, point." Walk away. I will give props to not. I mean, it doesn't matter because it's all surrounded by weird, misogynistic, you know, Asian joke, whatever, all this stuff. Couldn't tell you the last time I saw a movie where a guy beats up a woman and then just has a full clump of her hair in his hand and looks at it like, huh. It's like I was like, oh, okay, this kind of got this got a little brutal all of a sudden. It's like, oh yeah, it does. Huh. Thing that, it does like, feel... I, I have I have sort of complex feelings about the uh, violence against women in genre movies thing. Oh yeah, it's like and and so like it, a lot of it is contextual for me. Um, but in this movie specifically, it made me uncomfortable because it's supposed to be like funny as he tosses this tiny woman around. It's supposed to feel like a fair fight because she has some moves, even though Bruce Willis is built like a fucking bull in this movie. Um, it does feel like um, so it, it kind of reminds me a little bit about of Terminator 3, uh, which is a movie I defend in general. But like they... They do a lot to figure out how they can make Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, beat up a woman and make it okay. And, like, I I remember seeing a lot of promo stuff at the time that was, like, really riding on the fact that, like, we know it's not okay to, to, for Arnold Schwarzenegger, this massive mountain of a man, to beat the shit out of a 22-year-old woman. But in this movie, we found a way that it works thematically. And I I feel like there's a little bit of that here too. There, it, it does feel like there's some weird like writer stuff that happened. That's like, hey, you know, it'd be cool if if John McClane beat the shit out of a, a lady. <laughs> How can we make that work in a way that no one will write us letters? And like, <laughs> you know, like that. Sometimes that's what it feels like. Like it's an idea of like, okay, well, first she kicks his ass. And then he starts like like he he beats her up, so to speak, more than any other person in I think any of these movies. So it feels like gratuitous in a way that like we've earned the ability for John McClane to punch the fuck out of this woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. No, it's that it's just that that idea that like it, it, this felt like this in Terminator 3 too where they need to do the thing where like we're gonna let her beat the shit out of him first so all the everything that we do on the other side feels earned which I again I guess I don't have a problem with except that there's not an analog in any other fight in this movie or other movies like it just feels like a weirdo excuse to be like what wouldn't it be cool if if John McClane beat up this woman? I feel like I, I don't know. this is usually an excuse to set up the wim- the women to fight. At this point in the movie, there are no women except for Maggie Q. I feel, yeah. I feel like it was also in the in the time of being like poor, very poorly executed, like equality. Where it's like, see, look, she, she can fight him too. She can get the shit kicked out of him and yeah. killed by him too. Because women are out here doing it. You're like, okay, I get, I, I, I guess if you, if you say so, I don't, I don't think this is the best yeah. way to do yeah, it. It's like a weird gra- gra- graduation from like the, the eighties and nineties action stars where like, 
you know, they would meet a uh, a female or woman antagonist, and they'd be like, "Sorry, I can't punch you," and they'd be like, "Well, I'm gonna punch you." Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like, well, it's like movies in the 2000s evolved for like, here's how we make it okay for this to happen, but then they they do it in a way that like, again, John McClane's not punching other people yeah i didn't really notice that shooting them or running away until you said that he doesn't get in a big scrap with people every two seconds or anything like that by any means you're like he mostly is shooting people and driving around yeah but man man does he beat the shit out of this lady (laughs) yeah you're right there's no corollary really even so one thing i want to call out is there's a martial artist in this movie i've seen a bunch of his movies or movies he's been in and i really like him all the time he's this blonde tall french guy named cyril raffelli um, was he the parkour really sniper? He is the parkour sniper. Um, he is does crazy shit in this movie, and he he does crazy shit in this movie. He was like an action star for a brief period in France because he did this uh, parkour action series. It's two movies called District Thirteen. Um, oh, and that, both of them are really fun. Yeah, um, and uh, he Big also did uh, Jet Lee. Jet Li didn't make a lot of U.S. movies that I like, similar to similar to Bruce, Bruce uh, sorry similar to Jackie Chan like uh, Jet Li did not make a lot of US movies that I like um, but one that he did is that I really like is Kiss of the Dragon and Kiss of the Dragon has some like brutal fights and one of them is Cyril Raffelli versus Jet Li and um, that guy is just like he was a monster. He doesn't act a lot now, but he was just like, he was a stunt guy. And then they elevated him to screen guy because he has a bit of a screen presence. He usually doesn't talk because I don't think he's very good at de- delivering lines. Um, but like, uh, he is the person to have the John McClane yeah. versus a martial artist fight because that guy has a completely different physicality than John McClane. John McClane is, is a, a fucking sledgehammer. Um and not a particularly graceful swinging at the sledgehammer. Cyril Raffelli is a a dancer. Um, he's he's he can move in all directions, and he, he's flowy, and he's faster, and he's more limber. He's a I don't know a tack hammer or something, and uh, he's the person you set up that fight for. Um, and like, and he's got a memorable yeah. death. I mean, it's silly, but memorable. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no John no no hand to hand fight really. But yeah, there's no hand to hand fighting. John John McClane basically like starts shooting at him and then Cyril Raffelli uh gets frozen to death and falls in the trap and it's like I feel like that death like getting frozen and falling into a trap and like sort of passively dying is like how they usually dispatch of um mercenary women in these movies and they yeah. like flipped the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which again, like, it's just one of those things where I feel like I would have less problem with it if it was, you know, a movie where it it felt like it was just part of, yeah, she's a, she's a tough woman and, you know, she's a challenge and a obstacle for John McClane in the way all the other... He's fought four other guys like this, but now it's a woman, yeah, no big I mean, deal. There's just, yeah, but there's just not that. And instead, they go out of their way to be like, try to figure out a way to make it like... Okay, well, you can't be mad at him punching her over this. And it, it just feels like a real, like, tone death 2000 era. Like, here is the reason why it's justified to hit a woman. Like, <laughs> like I just remember that terrible Daniel Tosh routine. Because she knows martial arts. Which is like, um, 
something along the lines of I forget it because it was a long time ago, and and this may shock all of you. I have not kept up on Daniel Tosh's career. I don't even know if Tosh Point is still on, but like he had some joke. It's not because I actually recently looked up where I was like, is that still going? I did look it up. (laughs) Oh, good. Uh, I hope he goes nowhere. But like he had that fucking terrible joke that was like, um, like some people say never hit a woman, and then he's like. Well, what about you? Like you go home and you found that your your uh, your wife has drowned your kids in a bathtub. Like, wouldn't that be a reason? Or hypothetically, let's say she forgot to like work TiVo the football game. Like, what I'm saying is, there's lines. Like, there was like this weird like it's a fucking terrible joke and fuck Daniel Tosh and all that stuff. But like, there was this weird era where like I I just remember a lot of like cultural conversation of like trying to figure out when it was justified to to hit women so to speak and like this movie feels like hey we we gave you all the stuff that made it okay as opposed to like uh actually like making it like oh yeah well it's a fighting movie and there's women and there's men and they fight like that's what happens in this movie I don't know. That's probably too long to go into that, but it does feel like gross beyond the, the misogyny and the racism. Like feels like they do a lot of tap dancing to make it okay to, to, to beat the shit out of a woman. And that makes it a million times worse. And, well, you know what also makes it worse is uh, John McClane calling her a uh, dead hooker bitch. Oh yeah. And a bunch of like Asian. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, the whole thing's gross. Yeah. Um, but I yeah, totally but it, it's also offensive to my sensibilities that he knocks her out and then he's just like, she's probably fine and turns his back on her, which requires him to go get a car to drive through her. And I love the idea of basically taking in a, in a, 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 um, a sequence that would be in like a Jurassic Park sequence, like a car in an elevator yeah. shaft yeah. and just making it about John McClane slowly trying to fight off one person. Yeah. Like, that's a cool idea. Like and could have been executed uh, a little bit, a little bit better if it didn't. It, the execution I would have been able to appreciate more if it wasn't sandwiched between this like icky feeling that the movie just wanted to watch an incredibly muscly man beat the shit out of a woman. Well, and then the elevator scene goes on too long with the SUV stuck and then you know wrestling around it and all that. So at least I thought so. I literally made a note where I was like, SUV dangling in an elevator shaft is pretty cool, like a pretty cool scene. And then Prince go then goes on too long and becomes bad and dumb. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, that whole middle thing is a little bloated. I mean, the best parts of that movie are the... Or the best parts of that scene are when, like, they finally get um, Gabriel on the video phone and are, like, he becomes a little bit of a player and they're like, hey, we hurt you in a way. Um, I really, like... I do really like the uh, John McClane joke about... Um, how many bad guys do you have left? I keep killing them. I do like that. Like, like the. Do you have a bad guy store? Is there a one eight hundred number? Yeah, I just like that stuff. That just feels vintage. Like I like I'm going to thumb my nose at the bad guys and not pay them the respect that they feel like they they've earned through their their devious plot. I, and there's a really good joke when we get to the Kevin Smith sequence which I feel like I should probably just, you know, discuss. I think it's, well that that is the next part. They yeah. they drop on a helicopter and they go see Kevin Smith. Which I feel like As, was more charming in 2007. I the, like the two parts of this movie that held up poorly, like legitimately poorly. There's some stuff that held up better than I 
remembered mm-hmm. all all the empathy stuff with Justin Long and and talking about like hey when when you're fighting these battles you have to remember these are human beings and stuff like that like I, I actually thought a lot of that stuff was better than I expected or remembered I thought a lot of the action stuff was great the two things and they're back to back that just did not work for me at all are um, the fight with Maggie Q and then going to hang out with Kevin Smith to talk about Star Wars. I uh, I definitely remembered not loving uh, the Kevin Smith part even like at the time. Like I remember, I I, I think I liked it. I, I liked it at the time. I'm not. I just remember distinctly being like, uh, I always like it stuck with me as something where I was like, I actually thought it was better than I remembered because I remember it being so grating as like a kid or whatever when I first saw it, seventeen year old. Um, but but this time around, I actually I like the. You a big Boba Fett guy? No, I'm I'm more into Star Wars. I, I did like that line from Bruce Willis. That's a good line. And then I do. I actually I genuinely like. It's the only like okay. He's like an old dude boomer type thing that I genuinely laughed at was when he covers the camera and he says, you know, can we find out where this guy is? And oh. Timothy Oliphant's character just without skipping beat is like, you know, uh, it doesn't block the microphone. I can still hear you. And you, when you put your hand over the camera, because you're like, that that would be like a oh, I'm no, out of touch. Great. No, that's what I'm saying. I love that part. It was That's like, great. But that's not a Kevin Smith. No. That is actually like a funny. I mean, Kevin Smith exists in this scene. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of one of my favorite jokes from Galaxy Quest where like he does the like cut calm sign they do on Star Trek Tim Allen does and then explains like here's what we're gonna here's how we're gonna screw the bad guy and then he, uh, the bad guy had heard him Zoran or whatever had heard him the whole time because Sigourney Weaver is like I didn't you think I know how to cut the comms mm-hmm. I don't know how to do that I didn't know that's what you meant uh, great joke. I, yeah, I, I love the I love the joke. The um, just because you cover up the camera doesn't mean you turned off the mic joke. Yeah. Um, more jokes like that, and more and less uh, dead Asian hooker joke. And again, some of that is just because Timothy Oliphant's just so great. He's just so uh, every line is so is so well delivered from him. It just drips with like the sort of sarcasm and like this like cutting sarcasm where it's like even if he's not actually saying anything mean, it like hurts. Yeah, there's a there's a little hey hey dummy to it without being over the top. Okay, idiot, nice try. Like it's condescending, but not in a way that's hoity toity. It's condescending in a way where it's like, how could you even possibly fuck up more? Yeah, like yeah, he has such contempt for everyone else, and like that's what Oliphant is so good at. It's just looking like every, even like Justified, where he's a he's a good guy. He just sees everyone as like somewhat beneath him, which is like uh, I forget the character's name on the show, but who's the who's the like twelve year old pot grower who becomes a staple of some later seasons? Oh yes, yes, yes. I know you're talking about. She became a. I got too excited. I was just going to say Raylan Gibbons because I thought you were just saying that you didn't know his name and Justified, but then no, I... no. Um, I'm actually forgetting the actress's name off top. Of I'm my pulling head up. Too. She's from. She's in Booksmart and stuff too. Yeah. She Caitlin is. Caitlin Deaver. Caitlin Deaver. Yeah. Okay. Uh, where like Caitlin Deaver ends up being like the only person who's like a 12 year old like pot grower that like that Raylan starts to be like, oh wait a sec. Is this girl as smart as me? Is he? Does she keep outsmarting me? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Great. And he doesn't actually care about pot that mu- pot growing that much. He just more no. cares that she doesn't get fucking murdered by her yeah. competition. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that sort of um, that sort of clever cleverness in line delivery is just like something that like Timothy. Uh, it allowed Timothy Oliphant to 
elevate okay characters and okay scripts until the point that he got justified and 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 you know uh this is obviously um this is obviously like in the in the deadwood era so he was getting fantastic scripts then but like his movie career he had lots of just like like i'm just kind of supposed to be the the handsome guy with a little bit of a southern twang kind of yeah. character like like handsome guy with a little bit of danger yeah which yeah, is why yeah. I, I don't think you will end up watching it spooktober but would still highly recommend perfect getaway for that reason oh yeah i i, uh, I didn't end up getting to it just because i my my list was cut short but i would uh i definitely need to check that out because i love that cast because that's kind of who he is in like scream 2 right where he's like yeah. he's like oh yeah. I'm, the, I'm a little edgy but i'm yeah and so i feel like there's a lot of have those types of characters Bill? uh either of you i have not have not I've seen the CD cover for Go. That's what all I remember. I, I had the CD. It was a good soundtrack for 1999. Um, I, he plays like the the evil kind of drug dealer. No, he's not evil, but just like dang, dangerous is the right term. Dangerous drug dealer in the, in the center of the movie where like our heroes have to go and get like some drugs. I, I forget. It's been a while since I've seen Go. But for a while it was like. They have to know, go like pulp, and get drugs. Movie. It was the Pulp Fiction thing where it has, like, stories split, cut up together and stuff. and uh, But, like, hip. Um, and with a remix of Steppenwolf's Magic Carpet Ride on the soundtrack. For some reason, I remember that CD and um, Gross Point Blank. Those those oh, are yeah. always next both, to each both other. Both good soundtracks. I, I bet Gross Point Blank's holds up better than, than Ghosts. Uh, but, uh, yeah. It was the era when you couldn't get away without one techno remix, and I think Gross Point Blank managed to accomplish that goal. Um, I mean, it was John Cusack doing the soundtrack, and he's a... I don't know if you know this about John Cusack. He likes uh, 80s punk. Huh. I didn't know that. I mean, you could say anything about John Cusack. Uh, I don't know it. Yeah, I mean, he likes uh, music with high fidelity. Also called hi-fi. Yeah. Uh, It's a sure thing. Has he stayed in a hotel and stayed in room fourteen oh eight? So, um, <laughs> so uh, yeah. So Are they we still go recording an episode. Smith. Uh, they get a little more information. It points them to this final complex dash facility that he that they need to go to. Uh, yeah, it's a big data farm. Basically, we find out at this point that Timothy Olyphant's character is stealing money, and he is kind of holding. He, well, the... he designed it as the fail fail safe, right? Yeah, it it's his fail safe design. Um, he wanted, and he wants to steal this money, and, and he, he thinks of it as being paid for his work. And he thinks that you know, I, I'm not doing anything irreversible. The nation can use this to make itself stronger after I get my money and i get my payday and i get the fuck out of this country um so he has he has kidnapped uh lucy Gennaro and that's kind of pushing us towards this this finale at this 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 uh facility and then you know leaving the facility um bunch of bunch of fights there bunch of people get uh absolutely decimated by john mcclain um some people die uh the fight uh, continues on uh, through the city streets. A Harrier fight is in this, which is, I think, what a lot of people think of in this movie because it's kind of when yeah. John McClane sort of evolves into a superhero in some sense in this movie. Um, like, he can just yeah. kind of do whatever in a lot of scenes. Yes. And as long as he tucks and rolls, he's fine. And in one of the sequences, he kind of tucks and rolls after he is in a van chasing down the bad guys. He is in a very cool sequence where Harrier is... It's the Harrier is following video game logic. It's like 
it obviously could destroy him at any second, but it's like waiting to take swipes at him. Um, the wrong guy. It's, it's 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 pumping a bunch of bullets, but uh, mostly into the the back of the truck, not the actual place where he's at, like that kind of stuff. You never know. Um, he's also completely destroying like millions and millions of dollars of highway infrastructure. Oh yeah, here, and it's like that is another point when i was like this is such a war on terror movie the idea that people would just be like oh yeah i mean they think they're killing terrorists go ahead and blow up an entire sure. <laughs> shoot rockets just start put, pumping lead do whatever yeah yeah ru- ruin people's commutes for the next five years as they have to reconstruct all this shit um but yeah so uh he, he john mcclain is gradually climbing up this sort of spiral of uh of 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 uh these these uh, collapsed highway sections and uh eventually he ends up rolling on the the top of the plane and then the plane gets enough damaged into its uh its uh top um turbine like the thing that kind of allows it to float that it uh freaks out and crashes john mcclain jumps off of it and is able to roll to safety um but yeah that's that's kind of like i think one of the set pieces that people think of with this movie because john mcclain yeah. really jumps on top of a fucking airplane that's a, that's well, immediately think, what i think of well i think people got really annoyed by that in a way that like i that's the part that i don't think holds up to like scrutiny having watched all these movies in relatively quick succession i mean we were joking in die hard with a vengeance where they jump off that fucking bridge or whatever to land on metal um like you know they're like i i get there are degrees and there's escalations in in movies and stuff like that and i think the the jet in the middle of the city trying to take them down i think there's a I think it's a good setup for why that's happening. And I think overall the the level of superhero-ness is like – it's not like he climbs the jet and punches out the fighter and takes control of it. Like the jet pilot is trying to navigate under an expressway and that doesn't work out so well. And then fucking he ejects and explodes and John McClane just needs to jump off. Like I – like – if that's something where you're like, this is too unrealistic, sure, it is. I don't think it's that out of line, it just in general, like, movie escalation from from the rest of the scene. I mean, for, for just to get cool scenes in an action movie, I mean, I was fine with it. I realized the movie I'm watching... But yeah. but I do think that all of it is a little bit... It gets to be a little bit too much. Uh, I do think that it all kind of starts becoming feeling more superhero or even like video game logic, kind of like you mentioned, Peter, just because it's like, what? so the truck is going on an incline and then he gets stuck so he can't go anymore. But then for some reason, the fighter jet decides to, I'll say park, whatever, float directly underneath where the truck is. So I, I don't know why that would ever happen. And then he falls onto the plane then debris hits the turbine. Then it starts spinning out of control and the pilot ejects. Then while the plane is spinning crazy out of control, he eyeballs a, a, a big drop into a sloped concrete that the plane also falls onto to give a nice explosion while he slides down this. I mean, like, it, it was fine. That's a good shot. Hold on. It was a good shot, but you're just like, oh, man, there's just like a lot happening where you're like, okay, all right. So he even even if he did all that stuff successfully, you'd be so dead. But like you said, in, in the third one, there were definitely things that we said where you're like, well, that would kill you. That would kill you. That, but, but it did. It felt like a little bit much. I mean, 
as far as you know, this is this guy's first day at jet school. So, like, he might not be a good pilot. There's nothing, True. There's nothing in the text that contradicts. Uh, more seriously, I actually feel like the part that people got more up in arms about was not the jet part. It was the shooting the car at the helicopter. That part was uh, as well. Tunnel yeah. Um, I have... I have less of a problem with the jet scene. I actually don't really mind the the car shooting stuff. Uh, I think it that gets a little. I think that whole sequence is a little bit too much on the silly side for me. Yeah, because like they're like we're turning off the lights in the tunnel. and then for some reason all the hey, cars, well, cars have headlights. And, and also I like yeah. that all the like at that point the cars can see the oncoming traffic from both sides. And instead yeah. of slowing down or stopping, it seems like they speed up. And and start really hitting into yeah, each other. Eventually they stop, but it is like, yeah, cars do drive sometimes when it's pitch black. This is not the game changer I think you think it is. Yeah, it, but it, it, it would just it would disorient people for a moment or two, and then people would realize something is very wrong. But instead, uh, oh, also another thing, uh, there's one hacker that's like a little bit hesitant to to uh, perform that move, and it's oh, like, yeah. bro, you just turned off or turned on. <laughs> City lights in like ten green meters. lights like everywhere your body count is in the hundreds at a minimum. I do love that that hacker is like the weird uncle from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh yeah, I I I, I saw him and I was like, I was, I was like, he's not particularly funny. Is this just a role they cast comedians as now? Well, yeah, I mean, he was. I guess he was, This was pre It's Always Sunny or like the same year because I think the first season came out in two thousand seven. So that's why you don't see him like comparing his hands to anyone, I think. Oh yeah. No, I did recognize him. For some reason I thought you were talking about um the the kind of the right hand hacker. Oh, I don't is he in No no no, he's not, but that's why I was confused. But I did recognize the oh. other the, the big hands, small hands guy uh from Always Sunny. Yeah. Um I, yeah, so I thought that scene was kinda dumb. Here's but what's funny is that like I do think they get the tone of like John McClane scraping by to get out of these tenuous situations, like leading up to him throwing the car at the helicopter and the lights out in the tunnel. There's a like there's a machine gun guy leaning out of the helicopter and shooting him. And I really like when McClane like hits that fire hydrant. So the water shoots up and, and knocks the guy with the machine gun out. Of the helicopter, like, that feels like still escalation in scope, but the kind of humor of, like, John McClane improvising to get a job done under terrible circumstances using the environment around him. Yeah, there's a um, there's a bunch of video gamey environmental kills. He shoots an, a fire extinguisher in a way that, like, I've never seen a fire extinguisher explode that way. Just yeah. It's just an explosion of of air well, releasing really quickly, and then also yeah. obviously feeding the freezing the guy and dropping him into a grinder. Like those all feel like uh, Punisher kills, like from the Punisher video game on Xbox. I like. Well, it is World War Three deck. I, I did like um, in that same opening after the fire extinguisher, the whatever when parkour sniper guy jumps down. That that was a whole nice little bit oh, where yeah. he's he jumps onto the fence. They break through the fence, then the fence is stuck on the front of the car. I thought that was kind of cool because then, like, it gives him a, a reason to be able to be stuck there with some grip because of the fence and that kind of stuff. And then uh, McLean notices, you know, oh, there's a dumpster coming up wherever I can just just get the side of the fence, and then that just launches yeah. the sniper. I was like, oh, I, like I liked that whole sequence a lot, honestly. 
Um, but no, I, I will say the the car scene, particularly the launching the car at the helicopter, was was again fine. But then you are you're you're I think just slightly past walking the line of of how silly and kind of funny humor, ridiculous environment, whatever you want to call it, can you get um, before it kind of starts feeling too hokey or even superhero or video gamey. But it's still fun. It's just a fun action movie. Not a big deal. Yeah, I I think that's kind of like overall where i land on this movie like it is a it is a good diehard movie i i think you know we talked about thematically like what are the diehards doing and i i actually think this is one of the few series where um a, a leg a legacy i can never say it a legacy call um makes some some sense because like all of these all of these movies are about McLean being trapped in the first one it's you know very literally trapped in a in a skyscraper the second one kind of an airport although he gets a, he does get out and run around a little bit in that one uh and then in the third it's about him being kind of trapped in this city and I I, I like the idea of him in this movie kind of just kind of being trapped by time in a way and I know that's kind of a lame like if you saw that as a tagline for a movie you'd roll your eyes but like he is able to kind of get he he at the end of the day it's these movies are very good at like whatever the terrorists or whatever these people's lofty ambition what kind of makes it a diehard movie is that they doesn't fucking matter these are just generally like prideful people who think they're owed something and want to steal money and like john mcclain succeeds at being able to hone in on the fact that uh, this guy is not after something more, uh, more uh, digital or futuristic than what Hans Hans Gruber was after. He just wants money, and like understanding that he just wants money is like how he's able to kind of you know uh, figure him out in a way that everyone else isn't able to. And so, like, I I think that that works, like. The logline of an analog guy in a digital world sounds fucking shitty as hell, but I think they they figure out to make it make it work, and they get rid of a lot of the like um, old guy thinks uh, or boomers think you know uh, the millennials suck pretty quickly, and I and I like even though I I think the 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 politics of it overall like a lot of like anti-terrorist or or cop movies are are like way too right wing for my tastes i i do like the idea of like it's a system it's not a system it's it's people and that i think has some resonance in like a post trump era where i do think like i I, like a lot of my you know uh my lefty friends or lefty like acquaintances when Trump was elected, like the really like hardcore lefties were like, well, or like a Glenn Greenwald or something was like, oh, maybe hiring this incompetent buffoon will actually he won't start wars and he'll end up, you know, tearing down the system. And I think a lot of us were saying things like, yeah, well, if you're going to explode the system or whatever, like that's still dropping a bomb and that bomb is going to hurt a lot of people. And in this case, like it was very clear who it was going to hurt, which is, you know, marginalized communities in general, uh, people that are already kind of, you know, uh, without less, more of a social safety net or whatever. And so, and so like that, that idea of like trying to like reason with leftists, like, okay, 
agreed the system sucks, but we can't just put Donald Trump in charge of it. Susan Sarandon. And like, I, I, I thought that some of that stuff worked well from like a having some level of emotional core along with the idea of John McClane as just this person who has kind of ended up empty from all of his uh, heroic escapades because uh, being the type of person that's willing to put yourself in harm's way when you think other people are incompetent actually is not a good way to maintain stable relationships. Yeah, I, I feel like those are that's that's a really good final thought. Just kind of jump on that. Like I was I was sort of poking at the fact that like John Mc, McClane's like Luddite conservatism, like in five years, would like turn into like yeah, like a guy who basically just logs on to his right wing Facebook and gets mad about yeah. that, and then like eventually grow, joins right wing forums, and like that's how he uses the internet. <clears throat> um, because there's a lot of guys that were like, I listen to the radio and I watch one news network at night that eventually turned into those guys. Yeah. Um, I I think that he uh, very much so uh, fits that model. But you're right. Like, this has a weird resonance in the modern day where, like, oh, yeah, maybe somebody doing a, that, that speech that Justin Long has where it's like, oh, yeah, maybe someone doing a fire sale. That'd be great. Tear everything down. And then as soon as Justin Long sees the chaos that it's causing for, like, normal people, he's like, no, this, this is horrible. Hor this is horrible like yeah. people can't get basic social services like it's not like we'll go back to being simpler and better people like that re that and then reset we divide things up evenly yeah yeah that that reset just means that the richest people or the crazy preppers are the only ones that are actually going to be okay and that everyone else is going to suffer and like uh the thing that i think a lot of like yeah the glenn greenwalds of the world uh just like chose to ignore i don't think yeah, I, I don't I don't think that they're stupid. I think that they chose to ignore um, was that. Yeah, like this was a grift from the beginning. This is this is a, a money grab from the beginning. It, it was the it, like, no, the, there was no draining the swamp. It was just replacing <laughs> just replacing everything in the swamp with uh, Trump brand alligators. Like there's no there's no. Uh, there, there was no cleaning up being done. There was no, um, you know, giving us a, a window to maybe rethink how our relationship with the government works. No, he was it was an authoritarian when he wanted to be and he was negligent when he wanted to be. And it all just benefited him financially. Like, yeah, I, I he have, still I let all the same up. right wing wackos do whatever they wanted because he wasn't that interested in anything but riching himself and, and seizing power. I, I hope. I hope for your own mental mental health, you both of you and never and all of our friends have given up on the idea of seeing Trump in jail. Like it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, I would love to be wrong for once, but my my cynicism has has uh, so far been rewarded. Um, yeah. But uh, I'd love to be wrong. Um, we're not going to see. Can this Trump be the one thing that we say on the podcast? Like. Like we praise Elijah Wood as being a, a a cool dude, and then he buys like the next the week that podcast comes out, he's like, "Did Frodo buy white supremacist NFTs?" Like, can this maybe this will be the one thing that we actually accidentally make? Uh, yeah, make yeah. Our 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 guarantee on this podcast is Trump won't end up in jail, and that's too bad. Yeah, oh, oh, and if he does, we're we're bad. gonna look like total buffoons. Oh no. <laughs> God, it would it would rule to be wrong, but yeah, no. Uh, even if even if uh, all those those fraud charges and all that bullshit comes down, uh, he will end up paying a fine 
um, appealing in court indefinitely, and then one day he's going to die in uh, on the golf course, and then it's just going to be over, and no justice will have been done. And his will he die will or will he come back with JFK Jr.? Um, yeah, sorry, you're right. It's a binary, and, and then we'll just have to deal with his kids for forever. A hundred percent, he's going to be like an Elvis to the QAnon people. Oh yeah, it's going to be like, well, even if he did survive that, he'd be 160, and they're like, nah, man, he he had uh, he had tiger blood in his veins. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> something's going on. Some rich people magic is going on that's kept him on his feet this long. So that's how he remains so fit, so agile, <laughs> limber. That that healthy glow. Yeah, I I do think like that. That the movie does a really good job of that. I think uh, it is one thing we didn't talk about at all is like this is like I think the tail end of Bruce Willis committing to performance. We didn't talk about this. We didn't talk about yeah. this. This is like the this is one of the last movies, the, the last action movie or thriller or whatever that Bruce Willis looks like he gives a shit. Because Cop it's, and he tries. Cop like, Out was the big like Bruce Willis is a total asshole on set and has given up and that kind of stuff, right? And that was we were in college, so it had to be eighteen nineteen. So it had to be right after, right? Because that was Kevin Smith directed I too. Red being the one. This is where they met. Apparently, that would make sense. Yeah, I bet you that's why he oh, yeah. he Cop, put him in Cop uh, in Tusk. For... Yeah, Cop Out's 2010, but I remember oh, okay. the the press tour for Red. Yes, where, was where it was like, oh, Bruce Willis does not like people were asking him very normal press questions, and he was just being an asshole. And then uh, what's her face from Weeds had to just like recover for him. Oh yeah, where like she was talking about some movie that she liked, and uh, and Bruce Willis is like. Yeah, Smila's sense of snow, that's a movie. And everyone's just like, what the fuck? Like, what doing? is this, man? That came out 11 years ago. <laughs> no one liked it then. But he, yeah. Like, I do feel like Bruce Willis has not given a performance. I, I think it's, I, I mean, I think his performance in this is actually really good. Like, I, I think he's trying. I think he is, like, giving a lot of, like, empathy when he needs to. I think when he, like, realizes he's fucked up and he's put his daughter in danger i think there's like a, a tone shift from like being a cocky asshole like i i don't know what what good day to die hard looks like because everything i've heard about it and again we will never see it never covered on this show um, <laughs> is um is about like how he's completely checked out from it but like that uh stereotype of like later day bruce willis performances does not does not apply here. He's he's not just giving a good performance. He's giving a really good John McClane performance. No, I agree. Even down to like the very end, we're uh, checking on Justin Long in the ambulance room. He's like, "Don't worry, chicks loves you know girls dig scars." He's like, "Oh, really?" And kind of glances over his daughter. He's like, "Not not that one," or find a different that kind of thing. It still is like very charming and stuff like that, and it has already ditched the like overprotective dad stuff. There are a lot of little lines like yeah. that that would still be fine. It wouldn't be the end of the world, but still have a certain amount of charm because he's there and trying and like you said doing a true john mcclain performance on top of that yeah yeah Jesus he's Christ. doing the sad the sad guy to the high volume like like when he's like screaming about like e even though that jet scene again is ridiculous and in like it's scaling of the action when he's like 
you you're targeting the wrong guy. Yeah. Like, it is that same energy that he had in the original Die Hard that gets like zapped from him somewhere right after this movie. Yes, I I, I actually thought that while watching that specific line though, where he's like, "You're shooting at the wrong guy," or whatever. You're like that felt very Die Hardy. There you go. It was like perfect. When when he's like yelling out at the cops in the original Die Hard, like, "What are you doing?" Like, you know, it's the same energy, and it's great that he's able to tap into that. And I do think like. When people talk about legacy coals that don't work, like the part of like Kingdom of Crystal Skull, I know there's a lot of defenders in that movie, but part of part of the reason like it just fundamentally does not feel like an Indiana Jones movie to me, not like in a fuck you, I hate the prequels and I'm an edgelord and I whatever. It's just like Harrison Ford does not feel like he's Indiana Jones in that movie. He just feels like an old man. And it, it, like, it actually makes me super sad to watch that movie because there's just some energy and sparkle that's gone in a way that actually I don't think is true of his performance in The Force Awakens for whatever reason. And The weirdest thing uh, about Bruce Willis in, um, in Indiana Jones, though, is that he's like in better shape than he's ever been in any of the other movies. Like He got so fucking ripped for that, but then he shows up on set, he's like, what do you want me to do? Like, it's like he, he put all of his effort into his muscles and he just completely fucking gave up. He's like, uh, do, do you want me to crash this plane? Because I can do that. Uh, no, no, you're just going to sit in the cockpit. No, no, I'm going to crash. No, this. I'm going to crash it. I know it's, uh, I know, it's not going to, it's not going to go in the sky. I'm going to run it into this building. That's cool. That gets me my energy for the rest. I just like the idea of some old guy, very, just very sure headed the country. No, I'm going to crash it. I'm going to, you're going to have to trust me. I'm going to crash it. Ideally, also, I'm going to drop this seat from my ankle and I'm going to crash this plane. It's just my process. I'm Harrison Ford. Um, I need you to direct your attention as we're wrapping this up. Your your attention to your phones. Okay. Do uh, you want to confirm that the gross uh, gross point playing soundtrack is in fact way better than the ghost soundtrack? Uh, it's very good. Um. Um. Oh yeah. What no, I, I know. To show you is <laughs> the one. He will not stop being in movies. I agree. I looked this up too, Peter. He has been in more movies in the last 12 years that you've never heard of than he was ever in before that. I, it's I didn't know and, any of these existed, pretty much. My favorite one has a title that I, I've looked at for a full minute now. I still can't figure out what it means. Ten minutes gone. Ten, min, ten, ten minutes gone. Ten... Ten minutes. Wait, yeah. Do you think? Do you think if you saw it, you know? Probably. Well, I'm gonna not. read all these out in quick succession. Like, this is just in the last five years, guys. Fortress, Deadlock, Apex, Apex, Survive the Game, Midnight in the Switchgrass, Out of Death, Cosmic Sin. I'm not out of death. <laughs> Hard Kill, Survive the Night, Trauma Center, Ten Minutes Gone. And then, like, so then it gets to Motherless Brooklyn, which came out three years ago. That's, like, in the last two years. He's been in all those things I just said that you've never heard. Um, And, Peter, if it helps, because, honestly, it was hurting my brain. Ten Minutes Gone is about a man whose memory has been lost due to a bank heist gone wrong. The character will need to piece together the missing ten minutes from his memory in order to determine who sabotaged him. So... That's, is that why he is that his excuse for being uh, completely that's a, fucking gone the entire? That's a terrible title though. Ten minutes gone. Ten minutes. Can gone. you imagine being? Hold on. 
This movie Deadlock, which came out this year apparently, <laughs> he's second billed to Patrick Muldoon. Like, how far do you need to fall to be like, I am I am now second billed to uh, the eighth billed star of Starship Troopers or the replacement for Charlie Sheen in the straight-to-video The Arrival 2. <laughs> I know, like, I'm, I'm, I've seen a lot of movies, and I'm really good with names and faces. I had to look this person up, and I still, I don't know who the fuck this is. Who, Patrick Mulder? Yeah. He's the guy in Starship Troopers that, like, Denise Richards wants to fuck. He also, for fans of Saved by the Bell, which you guys are not, because Peter has never seen a Saved by the Bell episode. I've, I've, seen, a, I've seen a lot of episodes by Saved by the Bell. So okay. crazy, you have Saved by the Bell. I saw the college uh, years. Come on. Okay. I saw them all. So, uh, Patrick Muldoon is the person that Kelly cheats with Zach on. What? Yeah. Oh, I do. So, he's not. I do remember him. So hunky. That All he does is steal. First, he's stealing. Mark Polk. It's because he's got that jawline. Then he steals Casper Van Dien's girlfriend. This guy likes stealing three-name guys' girlfriends. <laughs> I see. This is the kind of conspiracy theory that I can get behind. <laughs> this guy. He's gonna steal three he stole, three like, names. John Wilkerson, Mel, Dune, your girlfriend. <laughs> I hope he's. I hope he's good doing, not mal doing them. <laughs> Muldoon, it's M-U apparently. Muldoon. Yeah, you know why John Wilkes Booth went crazy. Patrick Muldoon fucked his girlfriend. <laughs> I think since we're getting to the... Lee Harvey Oswald. We're officially getting to the dumb wordplay part. I, I will say I wrote down on my notes when Justin Long's just constantly asking people for food or snacks or whatever. I put hacker question mark, more like snacker. And then just just knew I was like, that's I'm never, I'm never going to get to that. It just made me laugh stupid. It was just really dumb. I love that this movie is, uh, I love that this movie Deadlock is, like, still on, like, the lowest, lowest end of, no one has seen this movie. No. No, they're all straight to, they're not even straight to video. They're just, it's just straight some to streaming. It is insane to me that these are all, like, hold on, Between Two Ferns is one of the last things on here, which I guess he had a. A bit. Oh my god. I forgot there was a second page. Yeah, so then Airstrike, Reprisal, Death Wish, Acts of Violence, First Kill, Venice, Tony Bennett Celebrates Night. I did see that one in there. I did not have the heart Precious Cargo, Extraction, Rock the Casbah, Vice. Like, these are from the last five. He has done – I wasn't kidding. He's done more movies, quote-unquote movies, in the last five years, I think, than he's done in the rest of his career. He's very sad, but I'm saying, like, <laughs> 2010, Bruce Willis also had given That diehard battery movie. commercial. Did you guys ever see Surrogates? I did. Like, that was where he just had... That was only a couple years after this, and he had checked out completely. That was also a movie where I was like, this is an interesting concept. They put a lot of money into these, like, robots. He probably sat in the makeup chair for a long time to, like, get the younger look going or the older look going. Like, that was not a a cash-in movie. That was an attempt to make a a social statement sci-fi movie with a decent budget that also had shooting in it. Um and he was just like asleep through the whole thing. I guess I can like I feel like maybe Looper is his actual last gas, but I also like I love Looper. I remember feeling like he was not giving as much effort as that I wanted to see it. Uh, I, if I remember correctly, because I really liked Looper, and I I kind of think I agree. I remember watching Circus, and my 
parents' basement and being like, you know, halfway get halfway through being like, why am I watching this? Um, yeah. But in Looper, I do remember vaguely something with Joseph Gordon-Levitt being like, oh, yeah, I essentially had to try and take on a bunch of Bruce Willis mannerisms because uh, he wasn't trying to take on any of mine. And you're like, oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. It does feel like that. Like he he's a he's a he he works fine being unengaged a little in that movie because he's supposed to be a little bit like cold and calculating and blah blah blah. But I I remember thinking uh, that movie would be like a half star better if Bruce Willis had any energy in it. Maybe that's incorrect. It's been a while since I've seen Looper. Maybe that's uh, apocryphal on my. Opinion. No, I think I agree. I mean, like it's like I liked the movie and all this stuff, but I think it, it could have easily been better if he had just tried a little bit more. Yeah, but he is trying. The, he he's playing John McClane. Like it's not a, it's not a warmed over version. It's not like a Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull or what, whatever we're gonna get in that twenty twenty three. Like, are you prepared to be as sad as you're gonna be for whatever that is? Like, he can't even crash a plane. He's probably crashing, like, trolley. <laughs> His blood sugar levels. Um, he didn't even trust this guy to crash a plane. They put wings on a trolley and said, go nuts. Go drive this, bud. I wasn't even, uh, even a big Indiana Jones person growing up. I, I don't think I've... I still haven't seen Crystal Skull ever. I'm like... okay. I don't, like, not because I'm worried. I'm just like, meh. I, I don't care enough to struggle through it. I... I I, I think some of it's okay. It just was one of those things where I just had this in like if if seeing Live Free or Die Hard in two thousand seven was me going, Oh holy fucking shit, this rules. I thought it was gonna suck. Me seeing Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, like I remember the first time he Harrison Ford speaks in that movie being like, Oh no. And they were also situating it for like Shia to take over, right? It, it was like part of that that used to be also a thing where on these uh, legacy sequels and uh, oh, yeah. it used to be, should be like and this younger actor whatever and it's like we're trying to you know hand off the torch or whatever yeah, and it, it it never seemed to work <laughs> no when they're like hey instead of Tom Cruise being the mission instead of man Jeremy, Jeremy Renner hey instead of uh, Jason Bourne as Matt Damon how about Jeremy Renner <laughs> Though, hey, instead of though, like Born uh, Legacy is way way better than whatever the last one it was just called Born I think whatever. yeah like when they finally instead got Matt like, Damon uh, back it was like it was like oh yeah we're gonna have you back for a absolutely intolerable movie with absolutely <laughs> nothing to say about anything but the previous one was like kind of interesting it goes into territory it's about combat drugs it has one of the scariest sequences i've ever seen in a theater like born i definitely jeremy remember renner one is not bad no no not at all instead of like a facebook app like a jeremy renner app uh yeah i i think this movie is is good and i again i think a very fitting end to the franchise i'm glad they never returned to this well every year we just talk about you know die hard being a christmas movie and we're just left with <laughs> oh, the, yeah, this, four. this is our christmas episode by the way yeah merry christmas everyone. Ho, ho, ho. now i have Thanks. a christmas message for you happy july 4th <laughs> <laughs> why did it sound like uh what was it eagle insurance yeah, um, happy I... Christmas in July in December. Yeah, they can do Christmas in July. Why can't you do Christmas in July in December? Why can't you do Christmas whenever you want? Yeah, it's in your heart. Yeah, like Jesus. 
let's wrap up uh let's wrap up this episode <laughs> i think we did oh yeah we, we said did. it was good great ending <laughs> to the series done great boom the series nothing else to say on this series so with that uh next week you will hear us barring any unforeseen christmas related circumstances you'll hear us talk about uh our best best movies of 2020 with uh our producer carrie nelson wait best movies of 2020 or 2021 do you even listen to this podcast you guys do the best of your last year we need a year to we'll catch up on all the movies you guys really sit on it okay we gotta sit on it and it's also and nice because everyone get gets hyped about everyone gets hyped about something and a year later it's fun to be like yeah that was fine because <laughs> like, it comes out it's it comes out real critics do right yeah. you're like oh man that was incredible number two but if you give it a year to sit on it you're like mm. you're like yeah it was fine yeah yeah we're trying to do away with recency bias yeah, that's that's our goal. That's fair. I like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it'll be best 2020. It'll probably be based on last year, a good six to seven hour episode <laughs> for you. And uh, we're actually planning to record it over a weekend because we, uh, I think, stayed up till three in the morning on a school night last time we tried to do it. So we are psyched about it and we'll see you in 2022. Or as we like to call it, pandemic year three. <laughs> All starts, all starts over after this. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. Show, we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. <laughs>